Welcome to this week's episode of, uh, oh, this is the Billy Corgan podcast, episode 421, uh, dash seven zero, because last time it was dash six nine. Uh, Brett, how, so I, I want to, for listeners who haven't tuned in in a few weeks, um, how has your transformation into Billy Corgan himself gone? I know you shaved your head, uh, you had to put on a few extra inches of height, but how's the rest of the transformation process going? Well, you know, the world is a vampire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I also, uh, I own a, a wrestling league, just so uh, that's uh, just so that's common knowledge out there. Just want everyone to know. Yeah, Impact. Um, yeah. It's a TNA now. So, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about going on uh, and becoming a wrestler and being uh, Billy Corgone. <laughs> okay. And uh, that's going to be my wrestling name because I'm very original. I just mean, wanted everyone to know that. What's your walk-on music going to be? I mean, is it going to be a Smashing uh, Pumpkins song, or is it going to be like something kind of out of nowhere, like somewhere over the rainbow? Or it, it's going to be Q Lazarus's Goodbye uh, Horses. <laughs> okay, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a good pick, actually. Yeah, gr- great song. Uh, you know, Clerks Two didn't do it any favors, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. And uh, if there's any shell semblance of him left in there. Uh, Brett, the original man, uh, how is he doing? Well, you know, he's uh, he's in a Siamese dream right now, so just don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we'll we'll come back. Maybe Brett will materialize later in the episode. Then, uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but for now, we. <laughs> Chris, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? Uh, I'm questioning my choice of intros as ever, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Blake, how's it going? It's going great. It's going great. Cool. Well, uh, this week we are talking about Spike Lee's 1989 movie, Do the Right Thing. And uh, I don't know if you guys relate to this, but movies that heavily feature food make me crave that food, and now I'm just craving the fuck out of some pizza. Yep. Oh, man. oh that's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fair. So, um, shit, I'm trying to figure out where to start off with this one, because it's kind of like, it kind of makes its point. I don't know what else to add to it, honestly. But, um, hmm. <laughs> I, so, Did you like pausing. the movie, Josh? <laughs> That, that's a good question. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was blanking on the whole, like, how do I host an episode again? Cool. Um, yeah, we'll go around. Uh, Chris, I want to start with you, actually, uh, mm-hmm. even though you asked me first. Um, uh-huh. What would you think of the movie? I thought it was okay. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was, it was all right. Yeah? All right. Uh, Blake, what about you? I thought it was really, really good. Yeah? Yeah. Any any standouts that that really like won you over? Do you mean like scenes or what? Uh, just like any like attributes of the movie, like just broadly speaking, like what like kind of elements of like this movie's like personality kind of like won you over? I just thought everything as a whole worked really well, and I think that the way it was shot was like changing all the time, but it always worked. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like every scene felt almost like it had a different cinematographer, but it worked yeah. perfectly for like what it was trying to convey. I think that was probably yeah. my favorite aspect. 
Nice. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Like there was there was definitely a lot going on cinematography wise in this movie. It was fucking wild to keep up with. Yeah. But, for sure. Yeah. Good shout. Uh Brett, if you've materialized back onto our plane of existence, uh I, I think, think I've movie? managed to sway down the beast that is Billy Corgan and uh anyone who knows that knows that that's a, a pretty hard beast to tame but um <laughs> it it was kind of a roller coaster ride i went from like at first being like it's a perfectly fine movie but i'm not just you know absolutely loving it like it's just it's good mm-hmm. it's fine um and having a little bit of like a, a shock from just like the general um gonna say it. like i don't the, the acting kind of felt weirdly stoic and odd to me and kind of cartoonish hmm. at times. So, like, sometimes it was too stoic and then sometimes it felt cartoonish, which was in stark contrast to the stoicness, I felt like. Um, but didn't take away from the movie in any severe way. It was just interesting, you know. It's one of those things where the more time I, was, I put into it, I think it started to click with me what it was trying to do just from a presentation standpoint um and you kind of lean into all the weird things like how every character is really uh, outside of a very few characters most of them are nicknames it's almost like everyone in there is meant to kind of be a caricature mm-hmm. uh, and we see that in a lot of the ways the characters are represented like you know their their nicknames tend to go towards their most <laughs> notable character traits um so when you think about all those things together, it just seems like uh, once I finally got over how weird it was, it started to kind of click with me and be like, okay, it's it's kind of meant to be a hyper, um, what would be the word there, but essentially trying to not caricature, but just hyper focus on certain aspects by giving a character that hyper focuses in on that, like bugging out of course being the, uh in one sense really probably being the reason for the ending acting you know the way that it did yeah um he spends almost the whole movie going through uh and trying to start this boycott right that and, and it takes until the very end of the movie for that to ever actually take hold so just interesting across the board uh and surprisingly touches on a lot of stuff we're going through right now which i know is a good i have a feeling it's part of why you chose it Um, yeah and if you didn't then damn (laughs) (laughs) no Uh, but yes i I did enjoy it it's just uh, i've never i don't know that i've ever seen a spike lee film Mm -hmm. the more i think about it uh and so yeah just a lot of very particular director choice, like directing choices that I think you could easily, I'd be curious to watch more of his movies and see if they easily stand out as just Spike Lee. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. I, I've always, uh, I've always known him obviously from his work on music videos. Uh, I mean, especially like the late eighties and early nineties, like he did so many iconic videos. So that was kind of like my initial exposure to him, but yeah, I hadn't seen any of his movies before. I definitely got a very music video kind of vibe from it, from like what Blake was pointing out. Like a lot of the cinematography was very unorthodox, but I honestly kind of loved it. Like uh, one of those early shots when it's like going across the bed as a, as Mookie's kind of like getting up and stuff. And it's yeah. like, you can, it's such a handheld, like you can almost picture the camera person having to kind of like navigate around the bed as they're holding the camera and it doesn't try to be like a you know a perfectly still crane shot or anything it's just like mm, hey here's yeah. someone moving the camera to like get this like you know really natural feeling shot of this dude just kind of waking up for the day um 
the way it handled a lot of that stuff and the way it grounded itself in like the neighborhood and it, it really hit me at the end of the movie as it was kind of like zooming out um, showing those dudes playing basketball on the street like how much of this movie just took place in like it's like a block or two block area right. um, which is a really interesting kind of like you know study of just like here's this area at this point in time and here's what these people are going through and I mean yeah the way it characterized like uh, you know, just, I don't know. There, there's like a vibrancy to just like what's going on in this neighborhood, like all these different people and like, they've got all their own like clicks going on and the way they sometimes interact and the way they sometimes kind of like butt into each other. Um, I don't know. I, I think part of it is like, a. have always lived in the suburbs, so my neighborhoods have been quiet and boring as fuck. So I think it's always interesting for me to see like, Hey, people interact with each other, like outside their homes and shit. Like the fuck's that about? Mm-hmm. But. Well, I'm going to kind of chime in there because one of the things that I think started to stand out to me and where I really started kind of liking the movie and chiming in mm. um, or getting into it uh, yeah. was when they started showing uh, the old men that sit beside the you know, sit outside <laughs> and, and, and just essentially roast each other and talk shit. And then you start seeing everybody playing out in the street and like the, 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 the fire hydrants busted open. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, those are things that I actually, growing up where I did, I lived out in the country, weirdly Mm. enough, uh, but the closest school to me, and since we were very poor, uh, the closest school to me was actually in a very low-income neighborhood, and all of my friends growing up, until I was probably in the sixth or seventh grade, Mm -hmm. uh, all of my friends lived in low-income areas around the school, uh, and of course, because of the area that we're in and and just typically something that you see it was majority blacks uh and a few hispanic people and stuff like that uh <clears throat> so and watching this movie i you know a lot of the things i remember growing up and it carried with me even through high school when i had a little bit more of a robust friend group of mm-hmm. you know a little bit of everybody uh but it goes to show when people come together just how different they are but to me that spoke a lot about my experience being in those areas because you know when you're in the areas around here that people would typically cause like hoods or projects or anything like that uh bramble courts is one of them around here you know i'd say the night there and a lot of it was stuff that i think that that movie showed the lighter side of but of course it did show some of the dark side of but it is fun it's uh in low in low-income neighborhoods, I've noticed that one of the really cool things about going to them is the whole area is really friendly, and family matters way more than it seems to when in, in more mid-ranged family, like middle-class families. So not only do the families themselves all get along, it's almost like the neighborhood that you're within acts as a stronger family unit. Like, it doesn't mean that there's not bickering, and like you see in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, where you see them kind of arguing and battling it out with like the, the boom boxes they're carrying around. But at the end of the movie, whenever everything hits the fan, you see that all of those minority excuse me groups come together and that's kind of how it is like you know just because you're not it, it, it one of the most telling lines to that was like when the the korean guys are there and he's like i'm black and then he's like what you're not black and then by the time it's all over it's like nah they're black <laughs> and what it's what it's trying to say is just that they're struggling too and even though they're not struggling the same way we are they're part of our community whether we you know and mm-hmm. really it's funny because that scene talks a lot about up until the actual pivotal moment of what happens at Sal's, Sal's is looked at in the same way as the Korean store is. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, just because they're not us doesn't mean they're not part of this community. You know, we grew up eating Sal's pizza, and Sal seems proud of that. And you know, the girl who's going there towards the end uh, that they unlock the door for is proud of that. So it just 
that's when the movie started. Of course, it didn't happen to me in like a Brooklyn area, but you can still see that on a much smaller scale just in the areas that we're in. So yeah, that, yeah. To me, it was it spoke a lot to my experience in life in those areas, and it reminded me a lot of my of my childhood. Really, hmm. that's really interesting. So I, I was curious if anybody else here had a similar childhood because we happened to be three white dudes, and then Chris. <laughs> 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 just a smattering of brown <laughs> yeah you know so i i just i was curious because i know th- the main reason i bring that up is that a lot of my friends in the high school years were per- like legitimately the best word i can use is kind of like perplexed and confused at how much the the black people at my school knew me when they see like, to this day whenever I'm out and about I see people that I grew up with and we're really good friends with and I know their families and I know all their parents and stuff mm. and people are really confused definitely other people you can see when they look around whenever it's like me who looks like your kind of typical white guy is <laughs> it, just you know buddy buddy and hanging out and everybody's seeing it's like oh that's my boy Brett it's just I, I don't know I think it speaks a lot you know I'm very lucky and I've gotten uh, a lot of good opportunities and I'm not a low income person anymore thankfully uh but that that's root that's rooted in me and i don't really there's not a way to separate that from me you know what i mean so Mm. and i think when you're in that with other people even if your situation in life changes i don't i think very seldom do people begrudge you for that you know sure anything they're just happy for you have you always lived in like the same kind of part of town or the same kind of area most of your life uh, yes. Yeah. So between my house out in the country and my grandpa's house, which is where I live now, uh, all of my friends, you know, when we used to hang out, they normally come to my grandpa's house. So everybody I've ever really known and have been good friends with, they all know where I live because <laughs> hmm. I've always lived in the same place. Really, mm-hmm. you know, even when we mm-hmm. move around with my mom, I spent most of my time here at my grandpa's house. So it's it's like my home away from home, but it's really the place I've spent literally the most of my life at. So interesting. <clears throat> whenever I see people, they normally ask, you know, when grandpa was still alive, it's the same thing. So, it, it, and I guess because of that, I'm not really, I'm in a pretty decent little block of where I live, uh, but I'm not necessarily in a nice neighborhood. You know, it's, it's, uh, so I guess it's part of that too. I guess in a way I'm still here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird speaking to it from my side because I think, I didn't think it at the time, but you know, looking back at it and seeing how people's reactions are, clearly I was the odd one out in that situation, but I never was made to feel that way by any of the people that I was hanging out with. Sure. Right. And I see a lot of that in this movie because you, you, you know, you have all these different groups coming together, but regardless of who they really are and whether they're the odd one out in the area, they're treated with the same basic respect because they're, they're going through the same stuff and they're part of the same institution and it's a community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I actually really did like that aspect of the movie in, in the craziest of way. It, it it touched me. It touched part of me that I was surprised. I didn't like going into it. I didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Uh, Chris, how does that relate to your whole, like, you know, for what Brett was talking about as far as, like, his being in roughly the same area and his connection uh-huh. to, like, his hometown, like... Uh, was your experience growing up similar or did you kind of move around a lot or no it's interesting because i've actually always lived in like a predominantly white like neighbor like area but Mm -hmm. i grew up at my grandmother's who i did not grow up but when my parents worked i went to my grandmother's who went who lived basically in the ghetto and it was a lot 
it was it was kind of like this but also the opposite and <clears throat> i think for a lot of reasons given some of the um trying to think of the most delicate way to put this nefarious connections some of my um uncles had i did not get the sense of community that Mm. you have so i didn't get raised to believe the things that they do Mm. but if you Mm. can kind of put together the pieces that i'm putting down they did not like certain groups of people for certain reasons and, and weirdly, uh, just so I could touch on that, my family's, my family on one side for sure was is more like that, uh, to the point where I remember I, my grandfather, who I really never go see because he's just a hateful, spiteful old man. Mm. <laughs> uh, he the the long running joke with me and my brother as we grew up, definitely because we went to where we went to school at, and all of my friends were were black. I remember he used to constantly be like, oh, did you get you a black girlfriend? You got you a chocolate drop? And it wasn't like, it wasn't playful, it right. really. I mean, it was playful as far as he was concerned, mm-hmm. but it was playful in a, like, he really still meant it way. And he's the kind of person that's like, you know, he'll joke with you about it and say that, but then the moment that someone actually walks in and is like, oh, here's my boyfriend or girlfriend, and they happen to be black or really even, I, I don't, I, I've always got the feeling it was any race, mm-hmm. but I, I, I'm with you. Uh, and it was so weird because, the way I grew up and where I went to school and all my friends, when my when they, he would talk like that, I'm like, I'm just so confused because I was like, I don't get it. I don't get yeah. what you're trying to tell me. Well, mm-hmm. and I should clarify, it's not. It's a race. It, from from the impression that I always had, it was a race thing, but it wasn't a black thing. If that makes sense, it just happened that the Puerto Rican gangs didn't like the black gangs. You know, no, fair. And yeah, fair. so it's not like sent. You know, the the kind of like you know typical it's not something that i grew up around it's just stories that i've heard secondhand um okay yeah you know i grew up with my grandmother but i wasn't allowed to leave her house most Mm. of the time and i would imagine there are good reasons for that outside of the fact that the area was not great um yeah i would imagine there were you know like i said reasons shouldn't want you getting into something that might be like a might become like a lasting habit due to like connections you'd form or something i, I just think it was dangerous to leave the area <laughs> mm. <laughs> no it's just as so as, as much as there's the connection of oh we're all low income and whatever in a lot of ways like they live in low income areas but they're all fighting over the same area so they all kind of didn't like each other so it's just interesting to me where in this movie it's like oh they're all coming together but in Mm. the experiences that i've had if they come together you know it's a negative thing and it's happened to my uncles you know one of my uncles got shot with a shotgun blew his stomach out so you know oh wow like and see if i could kind of chime in on that um I, I do get what you mean. You know, my mom kind of struck this balance of being someone who was raised around people who had certain, like, not the my, not my entire family, but there's a couple of people. Mm-hmm. And so my mom would kind of ride this line of, like, not wanting to overly control me or overly be like, I'm worried about you, despite the fact that the neighborhoods I was in are not good neighborhoods, you know. When I'd right. stay the night with my friends, even though we'd see that during the day, at nighttime it was, you're in you're in for good mm-hmm. and you'd often hear gunshots and stuff like that happening right um which i think actually i you know definitely for me as a kid uh whenever i'd be with my friends it kind of 
I think strengthened the bond that I had with that individual because mm-hmm. it feels like you're both kind of trying to survive in less than ideal conditions. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting. And to kind of come back to the movie on that, I, I thought it was really speaking of the message he wanted to kind of purvey with it, all that, that not once in this movie, despite this neighborhood being something that I think many people would look at and think, Oh, there could be crime or something like that going on, which of course the riot happens. But Prior to that, you don't really see any unsavory situations going on. You see a lot of people working hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe the maybe the mayor is, um, you know, a drunk and just walking around. But he works for his money and does what he. Is. I just thought it was really interesting. You know, when the movie first started, and you see him counting his money. I was like, huh. I wonder where they're going to go with this. Mm. And then very quickly, it's like, oh, he has a job. Like, he's had a hard time keeping a job, but he has a job. Mm-hmm. And he, and they're all trying to make their money in savory, you know, ways. And that, I thought that was it spoke a lot because I think it's really easy for a movie that's in those areas to even like something like the town where it's like these people who are from this little spot are all criminals and you don't really see that in this movie. Right? There, you know, it, it was just really interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Blake, I, I want to get to you on this. I, I think while some of the stuff we've talked about so far isn't necessarily about the movie, I think it. I think it's really interesting to explore our connection to, you know, based on what Brett was kind of uh, talking about, like our, our upbringings and the sort of environments that we come up in, I think can do a lot to shape our perceptions of the world around us and how things work and like how we connect to people. Um, so that's really interesting to me to like get a better understanding of each of you as far as like, you know, what kind of like uh, economic background and just like what sort of opportunities you had access to. Like obviously, I know you guys now, and I'm not judging you on any of that. I think it's more just like, I think it's fascinating how much a role that stuff can play in our lives and how it can make, it it seems to have a big role too in like the broader conversation. It seems to have a big role in like how much people empathize with seeing other people struggle. And some of it really seems to just come down to uh, having been there before and being like, I recognize that versus it may be being a thing that's unfamiliar to them. And sometimes the unfamiliar can be, you know, easy to attribute negative things to, but yeah, I don't know. I, I was just curious to hear each of you speak on it. Uh, Blake, what about you? Like, what was your upbringing like? And are you, have you always kind of been in the same area or have you moved around a lot or what's that been like? So I'm originally from Missouri, but I've been in Georgia since I was four and I've lived in mm. two different cities in Georgia. So I've only lived in like three cities total. Um, okay. So I haven't moved around a whole lot, but I have moved around. Um, my parents split when I was real young, and my mom was very well off. So I grew up, and she had custody, so mostly a, like a middle-class family and yeah. pretty nice neighborhoods and whatnot. Um, but when I'd go to my dad's, he's very poor or whatever. You know, currently he lives with my grandma. Um, so I've seen both sides, I guess, to an extent. Like, I didn't really live with my dad so I can't really say that I've lived in that experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I have seen it for, you know, months at a time during the summer and such like that. So, yeah, like, and after high school, you know, when I moved out on my own, me and my mom had kind of a falling out, I guess. And so I didn't really have, like, anyone to kind of fall back on for a while. And that's mostly my fault, like, <laughs> not to put it on her. <laughs> but, um, you know, you make dumb decisions when you're 18. So, <laughs> um, mm. We all do. Yeah. So, you know, grew up in some different neighborhoods, like poorer neighborhoods when I was 
just outside of high school you know um yeah apartment complexes and such like that so i did i have had the vibe of like this movie before because at least where i'm from the apartment complexes here there's always people outside hanging out you can just walk around and like chit chat with people and stuff like that so i don't want to say that i've experienced what was in this movie because i mean that's not true at all but like just sen- the sense of community that i guess was conveyed that's what i've experienced that was the biggest thing that i think would be helpful to kind of each of us have in mind as we're talking about this just like understanding like uh i, I think that kind of i guess as i said earlier I-, I think it can do a lot to kind of shape you know our perceptions of things and i don't know plus I- i'm always just interested in understanding it more because it's so wild to me how completely drastically different a person's upbringing can be and they can often end up in very similar situations in the end and it's i don't know it's, it's always interesting to me but um hmm well, I, I appreciate you guys sharing all that. Um, I guess getting back to the movie a little bit, uh, I'm trying to figure can out I where actually, to pick it up. Can I actually tell a story that I think will kind of connect us to the movie? No, we're out of Please time. Please do. Wait, okay, well, <laughs> this has been Midweek Matinee. You can follow us on Nartex Patreon. <laughs> um, It'll make editing really easy. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, totally. But... Um, mm-hmm. No, so my dad always tells this story about how there was this one cop who would come around and everyone knew his car number and he would just be an asshole to people, you know. And mm. um, <clears throat> the there was one time where he came around and I don't remember exactly if he was, you know, doing something, you know, he shouldn't be doing or whatever. But eventually the entire neighborhood came together, um, beat the shit out of him, stole all his clothes and he never <laughs> came back. Damn. So for all the stories of that, for all the things I said about, you know, I personally don't have many stories of a group coming together. There is that story of mm. groups coming together. Hey, that's a good story, you too. Know? And it, it yeah, <laughs> it, it, I mean... It's heartwarming. <laughs> you could say that. I wouldn't. You could um, say that, like, with the whole movie, you know, in times of trouble, the communities do come together, regardless of the differences they have. Yeah. I, I guess that's a that's a thing that's like, you know, I, I want to believe in that sort of thing. And I understand that, like, I, I guess for me, it's like, I feel like it's not my place. It's more my place to, like, watch and to listen and observe. Because I feel like, you know, I, I've been very privileged to have, a, I, I guess, a pretty insulated thing. Like, it, it was, you know, my, my mom was very young uh, when I was born. And it was mostly, like, a single parent kind of thing. I spent a lot of time, mm. like being watched by my grandparents or whatever. Um, one of my grandmothers did live in a, a lower income neighborhood. And that was, that I guess somewhat of a similar situation of like, you don't really go outside. Like you can, you can play in the backyard during the day, but otherwise like stay inside and like watch TV or whatever. Um, right. But, and I guess to an extent that was how my grandparents neighborhood was uh, before they had moved. I, I guess quick anecdote. They had moved to Las Vegas in like the seventies when like there was like nobody there. It was like, it was starting to have a little bit of suburban sprawl and this was right before it like exploded to where it is now where like Vegas is just like a big like it's the strip and then it's just surrounded by identical houses in every direction um well except for parts of town that are lower income I guess but um yeah that was kind of a similar thing uh with them as far as like don't go outside like you know if you're in the front yard like stay where we can see you like that kind of shit but I, I still definitely uh, try to be very aware that like 
you know, I, I haven't had like a glamorous upbringing, but I've definitely had like things have been secure enough and there have been a lot of struggles that a lot of people have had to go through that I have not had to experience. So um, I, I guess that's the thing I try to keep an open mind about when I'm watching something like this where it's like, here's shit that people live through every day. And I, I it's always the kind of thing that I, I want to believe in that like people find a sense of community in that um, and not this sort of weird... Um, and then that was part of why I was curious about like how your neighborhoods felt because mine were always very like people kind of just kept to themselves and it wasn't even like a it was like apartment complexes it wasn't anything like super ritzy or anything but it was just like one and two bedroom apartments and like the kids would sometimes be out like playing together and stuff but for the most part like I think everyone was just like busy with jobs or school or whatever so there wasn't a whole lot of like communal interaction and a lot of the time people would just kind of be there for like you know, sometimes only a few months, sometimes a year, sometimes two years, and then they would move. So there wasn't a lot of like a community roots where people would stay in one place for a long time. So that's that's another reason why I asked. Like, you know, it sounds like each of you spent at least a decent amount of time in one area, whereas like I think the longest I lived anywhere, uh, I mean, I, I lived in Las Vegas for like eleven years, but it was moving neighborhood to neighborhood, so it was like. I think the longest I lived most places was like two years at a time. So there was never like that community connection. So that's always really interesting to me to like kind of see it. And especially in this uh, context of like, how do people who are deeply connected get through difficult times together? You know, but yeah, no, for sure. And that's something I was really curious about too, because I think that it's not that people don't, don't often try and remove their mind from this. But I think it's really easy to to at least partially assume that your life experience is going to be similar to other people because you were definitely depending on how entrenched in it you were because it's just like humans are basically limited by their own knowledge and experience. Sure. <laughs> uh, so it's really easy to be like, well, you know, outside of like the people that you just absolutely know had money, you know, and it's obvious by a lot of the things they do. I think for the most part, I look at people and I kind of approach everybody from the standpoint of like well you know what they probably didn't have a lot of money growing up like you know there's no reason for me to think that they would have so i i just approach it that way and then i think about that with and it's one of those things where when you start learning more about people it'll surprise you because you'll be like oh okay yeah i guess i would have never thought that (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like my one of my greatest examples is because i don't smoke because i don't drink or anything like that uh it's almost like without even thinking, I just automatically assume until I until something is said or sh- or I see something that tells me otherwise, I just always assume that nobody else smokes and drinks, which is obviously not true. <laughs> but almost every time that I see somebody smoke or they say like, oh, I'm going to go smoke real quick and I've known them for a while and I've never seen them smoke, I'm like, oh, they smoke? That's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Damn yeah, I, but... <laughs> it, it's <laughs> thankfully it's not like that but it's just one of those things where it's like huh like, i can't say that it doesn't change my opinion of them i just don't think it changes my opinion of them in a way that's quantifiable or matters that much but it's definitely a thing that's like oh uh and i've you know that's definitely something that happens with like neighborhoods is you don't always think about it but it's like you know prior to this conversation i just would have assumed all of you lived in one spot for the most part <laughs> and uh and probably didn't come from much money but clearly i'm wrong and that's a good thing you know having a having a 
difference in culture is is not a bad thing it, it definitely i think it's part of what makes conversations like this potentially interesting it's because you all have a different basis from which you're pulling from yeah um i i, I guess that was a thing that was so i i loved seeing in this movie was like when like groups that hang out together would kind of clash and seeing how that would play out and seeing this sort of like communal understanding that seemed to be like pervasive in all of it where it's like yeah when uh when the dude with the boombox walks up to uh the dude's chilling on the stoop and you know he he's blasting his fucking music and they're like hey you know fuck off like we're playing our own shit and then they turn it up and it's like they're still pissed at him but like at the end of the day they still understood and respected that like mm-hmm. we're, we're still kind of in this together like even if like you know you're being kind of an asshole like just showing up while we're hanging out and like blasting your music at us like it was still like a I don't know there, there was less of like a I'm gonna stew on this and resent this and I'm gonna think about this for ages kind of thing and I don't know I think when people are more isolated from each other it's easier to kind of get into like your own head and your own like negative thoughts about that and it's easier to remember that one negative encounter and not all of the other times that you've spent with that person um and at least you know that's often been the case of like my understanding of like uh neighbors and family that don't interact a lot is they do so much shit talking and it's like because they don't interact more to have more of those necessary bonding experiences it kind of feels like their relationship suffers as a result because it's just like they have this one time where they have to they feel pressured to have a positive experience with each other so they just kind of keep it superficial and then there's often stuff that kind of lingers and then leads to tension down the road and it's just like why not just like talk about that shit and work through it so you can have like a deeper relationship with each other but I get that it's not that simple but I don't know that that was the thing that I loved seeing play out in this movie was just like the dynamics and the in, like the um the communication and just like the the interactions with each other plus uh fucking what's the dude's name I, i'm samuel L. jackson's character what is his name in this mr senior love daddy um <laughs> how did you forget i that? loved <laughs> you know I, if name. i had to guess <laughs> if i had to guess that wouldn't have been in my top 30 guesses <laughs> um <laughs> I, I loved how he was just like he seemed like in on everything that was going on in the neighborhood and he would like see people walking by and like kind of weave that into what he was talking about. And I don't know that that was something that like, cause I mean, music is obviously such a huge part of this movie and from it starting off with a really intense dance number that I honestly wasn't totally sure what was going on. But, um, Dude, I was so confused. <laughs> I just want to... I was just looking, I was like, man, which also shout out, you know, we talked about older movies and this is 89. This is really brushing up. And we talked about older movies, um, which I didn't think it went this long, would put the credits up front. Mm-hmm. And I mean, th- these credits made sure, like, who's the makeup artist? You're going to know who the makeup artist is <laughs> before we get into this, damn it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you need to know who Tanya Hill or whatever. I should have actually wrote her name down. <laughs> but, you know, I just like, I, that was so interesting to me. And then also the thematics of the dance number, where it's like you see the, at first I didn't know this, but it ends up being uh, Mookie's baby mama Tina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's like in the dress the fight the power things going on and then like she'll go to like 
you know, gym clothes, like the little, you know, things that people do, like acrobat and stuff, like, you know, the little old 90s uh, jazzercise outfit. Yeah. And then it cuts to her being like a boxing outfit. I was like, this is, I'm like, am I missing something that this is trying to portray because of the fact that this movie is like a little bit before my time? Like, you know, like it was out before I was born by four years. So Mm. who knows? I just want to say that when I saw her, I'm probably the only person that has watched this movie and been like, holy shit, that's the cop from Pineapple Express. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Routine? Yeah. His baby mama? Really? Well, yeah. Interesting. Well, while we're shouting things out, uh, did anybody notice that Gus Fring, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, was in this movie? No, because yeah. it didn't look anything fucking like him. <laughs> uh, dude, I my wife was sitting there watching it with me, and she's like, man, this movie's weird because she came in like halfway through. <laughs> And like after she was sitting there for like ten minutes, I looked at him and he said something. I was like, "Oh my god, wait a minute! Mm-hmm. That's the dude from Breaking Bad who plays Gus." I was like, "What's his name?" And I was like, "Yeah, John Carlo Esposito." And I looked up, I was like, "Yeah, that's him." Uh, and it just genuinely surprised me. <laughs> so I was shit. like, "What?" I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that wow. was bugging out. But um, it's interesting, you know, who Tina was also the cop from Harley Quinn. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, that, took yeah. me a long time that's what Haley like, said when she walked in on it too really yeah she said hey that's the cop from Harley Quinn movie <laughs> damn from the no Birds of Prey yeah, yeah. Nice. I, mean, I haven't watched it yet she plays cops a lot superhero cameos uh, Bill Nunn Radio Raheem uh, I forget his name in Spider-Man but he was in all three Spider-Man movies really <laughs> <laughs> He was uh he was always in Jameson's office. He was like he'd always be like, chilling oh, okay. in there. Okay. Yes, he was the one who clearly knew that Peter was Spider-Man and just yeah. protected him from Jonah Jameson. <laughs> Cuz okay, look, there was a second where you said that and I was like, I'm sorry Josh, there were no black people in Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, you're right. There was the one. <laughs> uh, um fuck. Oh, also uh fucking the Jesus playing uh, a, a yeah. racist Italian yep. uh, playing the <laughs> fuck out of a racist Italian he gave a pretty good performance although uh, the conversation between him and his dad felt a little after school special to me like it felt like it changed the tone a little bit like it was still like great dialogue but there was something about it that felt a little bit more like on the nose we gotta make we, we gotta make sure everyone understands what we're trying to say with the scene here yeah um, mm. well what I thought was weird about that scene is that you have that scene and then you have the dad kind of going out and trying to fix the thing with Smiley and being like, you know, because that happens midway through. Yeah. Um, but just to have the movie, like when the conflict starts, you know, the the penultimate conflict, as we'll call it, when that kind of finally starts, it was really interesting to see. And it had been brewing throughout the whole movie, kind of left and right. And I think that obviously uh, Sal's sons were not helping it. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely Pino or whatever his name is. Um, yeah. But it's kind of like the, the courtesy and and the love for the community that he had kind of talked about, and like you know, do they get, do they pay your rent and put food on your table? All that kind of went out of the door pretty quickly uh, as as soon as the conflict arose, you know. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, you see it boiling through, but it was it felt like it kind of makes that scene in retrospect feel hypocritical. And I think that was probably on purpose, uh, mm-hmm. where it's like for all the good that Sal talks and for all the good that he still may do, it doesn't mean he's perfect and doesn't. I mean, because even at the end of the movie, you know, like where the the Mookie thing where he throws the money to Mookie and he gives him more, but 
then as they kind of sit there, it's kind of like the tone kind of calms back down. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was just really interesting. And I think it was, I, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around exactly what it was trying to say. And I don't know if it's like a generational thing or, or what, because, uh, yeah, I love my grandpa to death, but one of the things that used to annoy me so much about my grandfather was that he would say things that would be like, probably not considered racist in his time because they weren't even really like they were just weird things that were like vaguely racist like you know, they weren't necessarily it was almost like when people say things that come off as racist but they're not inherently bad where it's like oh i bet the koreans have an umbrella it's like <laughs> why would the koreans have an umbrella <laughs> it's like you have some kind of weird story of how you connect these two things together but he would say some pretty weird stuff where you'd be like i don't know that's on the line grandpa and then i'd, I'd bring that up but grandpa what are you talking about but my neighbor across the street who we uh, affectionately call preacher um, is an older black gentleman. He's lived across the street from my grandpa since I was probably six mm. uh, when the old neighbor died and he bought it out. He's a super nice man, helps my grandpa all the time, loved my grandpa. He would go across the street when I, well, you know, all the time. I'd come over here when I was visiting or once I moved in to take care of him, he'd be over there shooting the shit with Preacher. Uh, but then he would turn around and say some of the weirdest shit where I'm like, Grandpa, it's like that's what the hell and i don't know if that's kind of what that movie was talking about it's like certain people definitely since sal was older and had went through generations it's like is this as you try and weed things out generationally but i'm not sure because his son was almost at first you're like how is his son so racist when he seems to not be Mm -hmm. but then right when that scene happens it's like oh is the son racist because you are and he just he saw it elsewhere but you just don't bring it to work i don't know yeah better hiding it this is like a, I think an interesting conversation is like what makes someone a racist, right? Like Vito, oh, absolutely. Vito is clearly a racist, mm-hmm. right? Where or P- Pino, right? Because Vito is the one yes, who actually is, is is cool. Yeah, Vito. Uh, it seems the right. Jesus he's is the, racist. He's the one. Yeah, yeah. The, the the guy who's in all of Adam Sandler's movies. He's racist <laughs> in the movie. Not the man, obviously. <laughs> um, man, you're but, just canceling people left and right, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Well, nickname me Twitter. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, but that's a big question I have with this movie because I think there's a fundamental difference between your actions and you know some of the things you say, right? Like I do too. The he grew up in this community he provided for the community unnecessarily you don't need to fucking sweep a sidewalk like but the mayor came in needed money and he told him to sweep the sidewalk right and he gave him money and then in a high pressure situation where this man is freaking out he says something he shouldn't say and that's not i'm not trying to excuse him obviously but i think the narrative that he is a racist i don't think that fits him Right, because I, I think that's fair because clearly his actions show that that's not typically the case. Right, but as we all know, humans will sometimes say or do things they don't really mean in a weird situation. You sure, know? Yeah. I think the biggest issue is that you can be nice to black people and still be racist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely possible. Yeah, but yeah. the movie does more to prove to you that he's not racist than that he is. Sure. I, I just if anything more. what the movie in my opinion what I took from scenes like you know him balling up his fist you know all, like kind of trying to set the scene was more that he's a hothead sure right and to me that scene almost didn't shock me because in that scenario I would kind of expect 
I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but I would kind of expect a, a hot-headed dude to go for the worst thing, right? And that, obviously, again, that was not something he should have said, or that enti- obviously the entire last scene was not something that should have happened. But in what way does all his community outreach... specific? He specifically wants to stay in that neighborhood to continue to basically raise these kids. Mm. And then his one transgression in this movie literally the one uh, you know unless we want to talk about the pictures which i'm sure we'll get there because that's the crux of the movie i i just have a hard time with the idea of oh he's a racist you know because i think people say terrible things when they do you know i've been in fights with with girls and called them a bitch that's you know it doesn't mean i hate women it means i was really pissed at my girlfriend for whatever she did and we got into a fight yeah, you know, right. It's and, like, and, and some people hate this word. I wouldn't but it's, compare the. I'm not going to sit here and bitch act like I'm not. Word. I'm not comparing. Well, of don't course. even. I mean, that's not even fair because I'm not doing that. Well, you kind of did. You you said that when you've been mad, no, you've said things. No, what I'm saying you don't... is that people people will say things they don't necessarily mean when they get angry. I'm not comparing two words. I said bitch and I said n word. So clearly, the words are not on the same level. Sure. Um. What I would say regarding that, because I, I think that's a fair point you're making, uh, how I feel about that overall is I think it's trying to display that being racist isn't like a binary thing. Like it's either a racist and you're a terrible person or you're a good person and you have no racist thoughts. Right. It's You can be a person who is well-meaning but still have thoughts that are racist, still have things in you that maybe even you're aware of that you're not proud of, but they are betraying some semblance of racism even if it's even if it's like a bias and you're aware of it and you're a person who wouldn't hurt a fly but you could still have like you could still have a perception that is racist or you could still have like a thought process that you haven't challenged yet it's it's more complicated than just being a bad person and it's in this case sure he's totally a hothead and that's you know i'm not gonna i wouldn't say that no matter how pissed like no matter how pissed off you are, like you shouldn't say the N word. I feel like that's I, just like a. I don't disagree with you. I was never making the argument. No, I don't think obviously. he was implying you made that argument. Yeah, yeah. So w- what I'm trying to say with that is, I think no matter how pissed off you are, no one forces you to say that word. And I think that's that, that's more of the point I'm trying to make with this is you can be a hothead and still find other ways to get back at somebody without going to the racial thing. And I think what's kind of telling to that is that. It's the first uh, thing he went for when he got upset. Not just that, but then a lot of people in there immediately are like, okay, oh, you're treating us like that? Okay, I see how it is. It's like, it, it makes it feel like if you're capable of saying a word that you know is so hurtful, even if you're in a moment of being hurt yourself, you should still know that that's a disproportionate thing and you should never stoop to that. And that's why even these kids who've been coming to Sal's forever, who've been like li- little kids themselves who've known him as the friendly pizza man they're they're going to snap that quickly because it's like no that is a never do that ever kind of thing that's not like that's mm-hmm. not being like hey hey fuck ass or whatever you're, that's that's a terrible example by the way but like <laughs> there are so many things <laughs> sorry i'm just hey, thinking of fucking fuck bonnie darko <laughs> <laughs> hey buddy um there are so many things you can say that are like a you know it's an understandable thing and i think that's the thing that makes it an extra wrinkle is like dude you still don't there's an extra level of dehumanizing that that word implies that just like no matter how pissed off you are that's like 
you got to step back and be like, why do you feel okay saying that? Is it because you don't understand? Is it because you are truly so like white hot with rage right now that you just like that logical part of your brain is off right now? But even then that's like, that's still a thing that we shouldn't make exceptions for, I guess. But, yeah. and I'm no, not saying sure. that you're and I think argument, it speaks but. a lot to the human nature. I think kind of what Chris means is it speaks a lot to the human yeah. nature that when situations are just immensely tense, that your brain, and again, not to, I don't necessarily know how I feel about that scene as a whole. It's, it's weird. Um, but it does speak to humans' natures to when you are in very tense situations uh, that is a conflict between you and another person, uh, how quickly the human mind will completely forego any form of rational thought, processing of thought. It's like your filter goes away and your brain's tendency is just go towards the thing that you know will hurt the person the most mm-hmm. yeah that's basically i, what I think I that's saying. really the best way to say it because like, if you know that you're if you know that telling somebody that they're like you know if, if you have a, if you're having an argument with someone and you're just trying to hurt them because at this point you're just there and you know that the thing that would hurt them the most is just to say that they're a failure and they've never done anything with their life that carries the same weight as some of the worst words we know and it's a simple phrase um so it's just, you know, I guess that's kind of what he's talking about. And I know because I think everyone's been there where you say something and you're immediately like, I didn't fucking mean that. It was just we, we got too heated. And the, this is just one of those things where the, the I think the biggest thing that shows it to me is Vito because Vito is a straight up racist. Pino? But, Pino. I'm sorry. Yes. They, they, <laughs> I'm, you know, they sound the Quit same. Oh, these aren't real Vito's people. Cool. You're just like fucking trash and stuff. <laughs> the wrong person. <laughs> Fucking Vito over here, you know. <laughs> Degrees, like, that's. I think. I think that's the kind of the fundamental difference. The fundamental thing that I had in my head is Pino is a racist, sure. and Sal is someone who said something racist, and quite. I think that erasing all the good he did and is doing, and if you follow the Spike Lee cinematic universe, continues to do. Because uh, in one of the later movies, it's implied that Mookie is back working for Sal. For, for Sal. What movie? I didn't mm-hmm. know there was... Is it a sequel? I think it's Cro- it's Crooklyn or something like that. Where Mookie's not in it, but I guess he's delivering pizzas. I haven't seen it. It was just something I heard when I was researching the movie. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, so the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that I think the whole point is that there's nuance in all of these people. And it's, it's, it's the same... You know, Sal did something terrible and said something terrible, but that erases the rest of it. And the way you guys are talking, it kind of seems to me like there's no room for human mistake because there is a very big difference between Pino actively hating black people Mm -hmm. and Sal doing almost everything in his power to help these people literally again giving them money for basically free sure and then saying something terrible that doesn't excuse what he said and he needs to make amends for that so but, I but just, it shouldn't be throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of situation exactly because it, it, it yeah you label him racist and that's a connotation when you clearly see in this movie someone who actually is racist so but i think what like i would say joshua that, already said there's nuance to racism and i'm not saying that uh, Sal is like the worst person in the world, I guess, or whatever. I don't know, but there's nuance to it. So you can be racist and not be Pino. 
Does that make sense? Like you can have racial yeah, not racist me, tendency. But Do what? Sure. I, I mean that that doesn't for me. I don't that doesn't track. But I get what you're saying. I just I I think that calling someone a racist, especially you know, and, and again, this is something where in in twenty you know nineteen or tw- Jesus Christ twenty twenty. <laughs> We've kind we've of been in 2020 for 10 years, and you've already forgot what year. <laughs> <laughs> He's already blocked it out of his memory. I haven't been out of my house in months. Okay? <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like I'm on a really weird side of this argument because I get no, what dude. you guys are saying. I get what you're saying too. I don't want you to feel like you're alone because I do. I, I understand what you mean, and I do think that I think that there's a level of racism that's pretty much impossible to come back from. Right. And yes. I think that there's people who have tendencies and can do things that are clearly racist, like you said, the nuance in it. But I think that there's a point where you can recognize that and you can pull people in from that. You can learn from that. You you know you you can take that, and even though it is, it, is, it itself is bad you can it's to a point where you can try and bring that in and be like you know this is the area of your ways try and you know work that out right and i agree with you sal seems like he's on the side of where he clearly did something that was terrible yeah it doesn't mean that he's beyond redemption sure i I guess my my thing is every my and this is maybe a 2020 view but to me it seems like anytime you call someone a racist you they can't come back from that no you're right that's where we are right now that's not necessarily a bad thing right but you know i'm gonna maybe this is an insensitive example right but if if some kid in 2012 tweets the n-word when he's 12 or whatever age he is and then you know in 2020 he's rallying for black lives matter but then this tweet comes out and you label him a racist forever it's like what which part of him are you going to really look focus on? Are you going to focus on the guy who's adver- advocating for you? Or are you going to make sure. because he made a mistake when he was when he was younger? He says something. He says something stupid. I don't think that's a and valid I, example because Sal said it right now. I mean, this obviously eighty nine, but you know what I mean. It, if we're talking about the movie, my point is that you're we, when we when we call someone a racist for saying something while he spends the entire movie not being racist borderline the opposite of being racist it takes away from who he is that's not to say that racist thoughts don't happen everyone has racist thoughts i think even no, if you, I, even I, the I most pure people have racist thoughts sure because that's how everyone is but you know i wouldn't call you a racist because you're you made a stereotype joke or you know whatever it is so I, I, I think, think that's where my big issue comes with this, and it's not the only. Per- I mean, you're not the only people who say that. I'm in everything, every research I've done. I'm the minority. It's just that's kind of the issue that I have, where it doesn't. It feels like there's no nuance because, oh, Sal's a racist. It's like I, he, well, he he did a racist thing, and I think there's a difference. But I don't think I, that. Yeah, I think- I, like non-racist people don't do racist things like i've never gotten and i'm a hothead like i get angry 100 percent disagree with that i've never said the n-word in anger not one time you haven't but again like i don't know i don't necessarily feel like i need to continue arguing this point it just again i just don't think that's a nuanced take on it i think that's a very black and white and it discounts people for their actions yeah kind of goes back towards what josh said about the binary aspect of racism it's not binary and that makes it very complex and really kind of hard to discuss because at some point you know it, well, I, I, I get it that's all i'm saying you know yeah 
and I, I think that's I think that's purposeful by the movie's portrayal of this. It's yeah, here's someone in their worst moment acting in a way that we don't condone or even necessarily like forgive, but acknowledging that there is an element of like acknowledging that there is a racist act happening by a person doesn't mean like they are forever banished and nothing can ever undo like like fuck them forever we hate them like we're never going to even like speak their name it's it's not like that like the next day like sure mookie's like treating him differently but there's still there's at least the the hint in the way that they kind of start to let their guard down that they're willing to forgive and move on and what I think is important for everybody right now in 2020 to try to understand about, like, it's not just like racism, like you're in the bin forever, like, fuck you, I don't want to hear from you. It's like, try to understand it, like, if you can see it in this, where here's a person who is like demonstrably a good person by their actions. And then we see a moment where they are less than we know that they can be and should be and less than we expect everyone to be like we expect everyone to do better than saying that word out of anger then Mm -hmm. i think that's sort of the thing is we have to understand that people all around us us ourselves maybe like we're capable of holding these views we're capable of acting in a way that's inconsistent with the good people that we believe ourselves to be or that we're trying to be or that our loved ones know us as and that's I think that's kind of the point is you can be beloved in the community and still have aspects of yourself that you need to work on and have aspects of yourself that can cause real harm. And in this case, it's shown in incredibly dramatic fashion where it's not just he says a word and then people boycott him, but he says a word, smashes a radio, and then they retaliate by smashing his store and a kid dies, which, by the way, we haven't talked about. And it's... You know, I think that's an aspect of it too. Like he, while his relationship is forever different with his community and he will have to earn back that trust, he has the opportunity to earn back that trust. Meanwhile, you know, this kid who granted, you know, probably you're not going to get the best response from an older man by walking into a store and blasting your fucking music and doing something that you already know is going to piss him off. But still, I mean dude doesn't deserve to die for that and that's you know that's the thing that obviously we watch that and we go no no one watching this thinks that he deserved to die but i think that's the sort of thing is we have to understand that like we can mean well and still contribute to things that are real and harmful and i think that's the thing is like here's this dude he means well he did a bad thing it had a drastic fucked up consequence for somebody who was now dead and it's like I think that's the thing is like I don't know encouraging us to not see it as like yeah it's it's not just like that one dude you knew who was racist and no one talks to him anymore it's like hey we all have shit to work on in this regard that was kind of a rambling thing but I don't know I, I was trying to find a way to phrase it no I understand I, I mean I get what you mean and I, and I think just to wrap that up I think the only thing Chris is kind of talking about uh, is that I think a little differently from the you know we're we're giving 2020 commentary on a 1989 movie sure. which shout out for a 1989 movie still being so ridiculously on the nose to things that we're still doing and mm-hmm. showing how little we've actually progressed and in, in most ways yeah. it could have came out um, yesterday and i'd be like okay sure yeah, yeah. uh but 
to that, you know, I think what Chris is kind of talking about is I don't necessarily know if in 89 when that was going on, that's the same connotation held as, and again, the big, the big problem is the internet. I don't know if it's necessarily true across the board if we didn't have social media, but definitely the most extreme side of social media uh, that does have the outrage culture to where if you did even this, which we I think we all agree is something that's uh, redeemable. It, it's not saying that it's not a terrible action, but it is redeemable. Most of where we're at right now, I guess, is due to where we are with internet. Like I can say, is that you can't really come back from it in a lot of ways, or at least there's the idea that you can't come back from it now. Like, you know, once you're labeled that, you're kind of always labeled that uh, because the power of social media and the internet allows you to have these. It allows you to be able to dehumanize the person completely, not see their good value that was still in those actions, and only see the bad and hide behind that because no one has to know who you truly are, and you don't have to do that face-to-face. It's just culture has, you know, the one thing that's really changed from this movie is how much social media and internet has just changed how we interact as people. Yeah, I guess guess just to kind of put my closing thoughts is I guess I I I have a strong reaction to it because of exactly what Brett's saying. In in this day and age, if if this had happened, then Sal would never come back because people destroy people for one mistake. And that's the whole thing. And that's what's frustrating to me is that when you guys say, well, he was a racist, I sit here and say, no, he fucking wasn't. He made a mistake. Where, you know, if you come to me and you say, you know, big tattoo guys with Nazi tattoo is a racist, I go, yeah, he's a fucking racist. You know, and that's where my subjective thing is because I believe that every single person, no matter what you want to tell me, has had ha- it has racism in them because everyone everyone grows up with the stereotypes of you know the the joke you're making before about the you know, black people have big dicks or Indian people run gas stations or white people you know cheat on their wives and kill people <laughs> you know I, I mean that one's you know, true hashtag true man I've those took those. a pretty oh I mean yeah all, all white people Ooh, I did both at the same right, time right but <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying though right like absolutely the absolutely. joke is oh I'm scared of the white kid because he's going to shoot up the school and that everyone has these things and I think that's a thing where the movie itself is trying to say this so you guys are right I was getting a little too in the weeds on 2020 but I think that's something we all need to recognize is that humans have nuance and obviously Sal went so far above board that he deserved to get the beating that he got and of course the the radio kid did not deserve to die absolutely not that was insane but you know I just feel in 2020 the label of racist has lost necessarily what I think it means because I've you know I've dealt with a cop that I thought was racist you know there was one time I was walking to work full McDonald's uniform when I used to smoke cigarettes and I was smoking a rolly and Mm -hmm. a cop pulls up at me and and thinks it's a joint I show him the pack of tobacco I Mm -hmm. show him that I'm smoking a cigarette I show him I don't have any weed and he still fucks with me and I'm late to work and I can sit here and say, you know, was he a racist because I'm the one Puerto Rican in this in this area? Maybe. Or I can say, 
I was smoking a rolly. I can't roll rollies, and I'm a 16 year old walking down the street smoking a rolly. You know, like it looks. I can see where that would look suspicious. I think he probably should have left me the fuck alone when I was clearly not smoking a joint. Mm. You know, but I, having experienced that, wouldn't call it that. And I think maybe again, it's how I was raised versus how you guys were raised. But I also think it's the fact that like. And I don't mean to assume from you guys, but no offense, you're all white. So I would imagine that you don't have the same experience with the police in that way that I have had and that my family has had. Right. That's true. Yeah. I, I'd say the so, closest I've gotten to that. And I, and really the reason I can kind of speak to that is the only reason I've, I have those feelings. And I actually started like, thinking about it the other day uh, when someone was talking about it. Like, you know, a lot of my white friends are like, you know, I don't really feel uncomfortable around cops. And I'm like, I certainly do. Like immediately if I see one, I'm like, go on. There's nothing for you here. Yeah. Uh, and I started thinking about it. And, you know, whenever I was a kid, I would have a lot of run-ins with cops. And I feel like thinking back about it. I always felt like, oh, cops in just general to everybody are just dicks, but I always had at least one black person around me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, ah, so was I getting residual weird effects from the fact that I did? And, and I, the more I think about it, the more I think that that very likely was at least the majority of them had, right. to, you know, uh, to I the mean, point where they held us one night, uh, despite the fact that they pulled us over, stopped us for an accusation that was not us. And then they had this situation where we were like, 45 minutes out from curfew we were almost to my house my grandpa's house who was out of town and yet here we are a block away from my house and we're stopped and we can't go home because they've stopped us and they hold us till after curfew and then they call our parents and give us tickets for being out past curfew Mm. (laughs) Uh, cops freak me out it's just one of those things every time i see him i throw all my death out the window (laughs) <laughs> oh my god dude me too that and uh, now i do uh i do you know stick my cocaine up my ass that's just <laughs> no bag just shove it up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah just i just blow the powder directly up there you know i, I marilyn manson some ribs you know, for our kids did you ever have that yeah. <laughs> i, I want to let chris finish his thought first sorry yeah, I, I, yeah sorry no it's fine we we've gone down a, a, a tangent i guess it's just the thing is like i've seen people i know labeled as racist that i know are not and I've dealt with people who are racist. And that's why I think I'm so passionate about using the word properly. And again, the properly to me is different than your properly, right? And I, I, I can understand that. But the experiences that I've had with actual racists does not compare to an owner of a business saying a bad word. I, and I, I know that sounds a little dismissive of the word, but th- some of the stuff that I've dealt with, some of the stuff that my uncles have dealt with, some of the stuff that my father has dealt with, mm-hmm. pales in comparison to that word. And we're not black, you know, and I'll, I'll sit here and say, you know, no, people have called me a spick before, and that doesn't hurt because, you know, fucking whatever. But to me, when you say racist, I think of someone entirely different than who Sal was because... I've known mm. people like Sal. Sure. I have people in my family who are like Sal. And when you and I have people in my family who are like Pino. So that that's I think well, kind of to explain why I kind of got a little testy. Sure. And sure. It was just because to me it it, it makes the bat, the truly repugnant people that I've known, you group them in with someone like Sal when you call Sal a racist. Mm. And yeah. that Yeah. 
does isn't fair to me. I get where you're coming from when you call Salah racist, but again, you haven't. The, some of the stuff that I've seen go, pay, is beyond that. No, I agree. It's more that it's not necessarily that he is a quote unquote full on racist. It's that he's a guy who did something that happened to be racist. Right. He did something racist, and he yeah. he has to go through a trial by fire to earn his place back in that in that community i don't disagree with that Mm -hmm. and anybody who does that has to go through a trial by fire Mm -hmm. but when we have literal kkk members shouting at black lives matter or shouting at you know protesters or whatever it is that's true racism and some dude saying that or some dude tweeting that or whatever it is you know this is a little a tangent from the movie and i apologize but it doesn't we have to stop lumping these people together because in a lot of ways you give the truly repugnant people an out by doing that in my opinion i hear you because on that. those people it's the same as i actually i'm not going to go there but <laughs> well if i could quickly just address that i hear what you're saying i, I think you're right to distinguish severity i i think the movie's I think the movie was very deliberate in showing someone like Pino who is no one's bothering him and he's just actively racist. He is fostering racist thoughts and he is like seeking ways to villainize people who have only welcomed him as a member of their community. Like right. that that's definitely like like no one's provoking him into doing that. He's just doing that himself. And I agree that what Sal is doing is in a different category. But I think the reason it's illustrated so differently is to show that you can still contribute to the harm and you can still be like a good person, but there's still a lot of ways that we all actively might be contributing to this bigger systemic thing. And I think that's sort of the thing is like, yeah, people sometimes like social media, I'm not going to act like that's like always a, a rational sane place. Cause often social media is a total shit fest. <laughs> but if you look at like, <laughs> I actually, for, I got so distracted by a recent fucking, uh, memory of someone getting canceled on social media. I forgot what I was going to say. Um, but I, I, I agree that like social media trial by jury is like a, that's not a model example for how we should want to handle these things. But the question is still real and worth asking and worth continually asking. How are we people who believe that we're good, maybe turning a blind eye to aspects of this that is still systemic, that is still harmful. And I think that's, I think that's all it's trying to illustrate. Like, I, I right, agree that there's a difference, but there are still ways to contribute without being, you know. But, it, but isn't that the point of the conversation with Pino? Is that Sal is actively taking steps to try and improve his child and trying to break that systematic racism? He is, but I think that shows that that work is not just like you wouldn't want someone to be an absolute racist that that work doing good work isn't an absolute good that means you aren't also doing negative things and i think that's the big thing that a lot of people should at least be willing to ask themselves is are you overlooking something because you identify as a good person and people treat you as a good person are you maybe overlooking a way that you are contributing to harm and you just aren't aware of it and i think that's the that's the part that's more difficult is not all racism looks like the clan or looks like you know some horrible act of violence like that is the worst end of it but there are still acts of racism that are more subtle and are harder to define but right. are still 
well, that, actively that, harmful in a way that we gotta like identify and contend with. Yeah, I I don't know. We should move on from this because I have to edit this fucking show. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, the I guess maybe I never made the distinction, and I really I don't know. But Sal did a racist thing. I just don't think he him as a man is a racist. That mm. that's I get where you guys are coming from, a hundred percent. That's just how I see it. And I'm with you, personally. Anyway. I don't, I don't think it's for me to say, but yeah, what, what are you going to say? No, I'm not. Never mind. I was going <laughs> to try and transition away to my actual biggest problem with this movie. What is it? <laughs> Go ahead. Segue, buddy. <laughs> uh, Roger, Roger Clemens is a better pitcher than Doc Gooden. Oh. <laughs> and it's not even close. Roger, oh, uh, Roger Clemens had a 3.12 ERA. Doc Gooden had a 3.51. Roger Clemens set the record for the most strikeouts in a game and did it three times. Roger Clemens is better. Uh, for what it's worth, I have no idea who that is. Baseball people. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Uh, I mean, I, I, I hear Peyton Manning's good. That is not a baseball guy. Uh, Tom Brady's better. Okay, what about... Uh, the Spice Melange. I, I hear Magic Johnson has a good arm. Uh, basketball. I do love sports <laughs> but, ball. But, you know, hey. <laughs> no, God, um, it's going to be great when we watch baseball movies. <laughs> I actually kind of like baseball movies. movies. I just don't like sports themselves. Can we, yeah. can, can we mix them together and do basketball? Yes. I love that movie. It's so good. <laughs> um, and for, for what it's worth, I, I appreciate, you know... Like, like Chris, I don't want you to feel like you're backed into a corner or anything. I, I think this is all important stuff for, I don't know, everyone to discuss. Like, I, I, I know we're a movie podcast, and I don't want to derail us too much from that. But I think in as much a way that is natural to our flow of discussion, this movie kind of, you know, it, it invokes the question to the viewer to, you know, obviously here are some bad examples, and then here are some grayer examples and I think that's the bigger thing is just like just keeping an open mind and trying to like you know question in the in the effort of you know just always seeking to do better like if if we feel like collectively our work is never done we always want things to be better for the next generation that applies to everything right so right anyway where's a what's a good segue from this (laughs) what's your favorite type of pizza (laughs) top Racism. Oh, let's argue about pineapple. <laughs> oh, you, like, you like your pizza with pepperoni and a little bit of racism? <laughs> uh, do any of you have like a huge aversion to pineapple? Do you like fucking hate it? Or I don't like, like the texture. A strong word. Yeah, I don't, I don't love like, it. I am definitely not a pineapple on pizza person. And also, I like the flavor. Big shout out to this movie for not showing pineapple on pizza or did it? <laughs> not that I saw. Yeah, me. Yeah, either. I like the flavor of pineapple. Like. Our Kroger grocery store is like a Kroger brand like knockoff soda, and it's pineapple flavored, and it's really fucking good. Hmm. Well, artificial flavor and real flavor tend to be very different. Well, <laughs> I'm just so, saying. So fuck off. <laughs> Let the man like what hey, he I'm likes. I'm just saying. <laughs> suck a dick. Hey, I'm kidding. <laughs> whoa. Um, oh, that hurt, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry for completely derailing the show for 40 minutes. You're good. <laughs> and ruining your train of thought. Just to end it, you know, I never meant to imply that you never experienced racism or don't know what it is or anything. No, if that's I, the way you took I what I said. No, 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 no. I didn't with either of that. I just, 
the more I felt like my point wasn't being understood, the more annoyed I got. So, <laughs> and I apologize, but you're good. That was kind of where it was. We're all wrong around. sometimes. What the fuck, fun. you guys? <laughs> yeah, I'm wrong. Most I know of the time. you were. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, I want to talk about the music real quick because the sure. music is in your face throughout this movie intentionally mm-hmm. to, yeah. to the point where it's in that climactic moment the music is in the face and, the, and that's why that dude gets so pissed off or that's part of it but um yeah fuck i i was just thinking about how different a world it is of dudes walking around with boom boxes uh as compared to right now <laughs> yeah. when everyone just has their own little earbuds and like <laughs> yeah i think that not level true of <laughs> not true not true and i actually i've been i've wondered this for a while because it's not something i do but i'm also a very pet peevy person for things like that uh i find and this is just one of those happens to to be the way it goes uh i happen to find that the privacy that things like earbuds and like self microphones will offer to you doesn't seem to matter to certain people and it just kind of comes to a point where i will find people and I don't know if it's a remnant of the boombox era, and because I don't know, I've seen younger people do it, so I don't think it is. Um, but definitely, I'll just be in Walmart or at a store, and people will be listening to music with their phone, with no headphones in, and just have it loud walking through the store. Uh, it's super annoying. Uh, but I also find that I will often see people, for no reason, just have their phone on speaker walking through the store and having a full conversation and often Mm. about crazy shit (laughs) and you'll just be like why would you want this to be on speaker dude it's Um, for those viral tiktoks man (laughs) (laughs) maybe uh but yeah that's i mean that's at least in my area that's happened for years Mm -hmm. just years uh and it's always been crazy so i don't know if y'all have an experience with that but i've always thought that i've always wondered if that's like a does privacy not matter to certain people to that end? Like, you know, I, I don't particularly want people to hear what I'm listening to. Just like, I don't necessarily want to hear what they're listening to unprovoked. You know, mm-hmm. mm. it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I actually met someone I'm really good friends with now where he was working and listening to a podcast that I also happened to listen to. And I just went up and started talking to him. So as annoying as that shit is, I met it can someone, be useful. You know, it can be <laughs> useful. Yeah, and I, like, yeah don't again, do you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it is a, it's an obnoxious thing to first meet someone with, depending on whether or not you like what they happen to be listening to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm totally on the same page as far as like, I always have been like, what, what I do is my business. I don't want anyone hearing it. So I've always been like, you know. <laughs> from the days where my only mp3 player was one of those little like usb stick drives 128 megabytes and i had like i had like a yeah. really shitty quality torrent torrented copy of like i had like 12 songs like one of them was eminem one was 50 cent i had like a sum 41 song and yeah You're eclectic it, it, it wasn't it wasn't good taste and it wasn't good quality <laughs> but it was definitely there and no one else had to suffer through it so there's that <laughs> But, uh, I appreciate you for that. <laughs> then again, though, if I had a Public Enemy cassette and a sick-ass boombox, then it might be a different story. Because honestly, I was mm. looking at that and kind of thinking, I wonder how much one of those would cost, because that's kind of the dopest shit I've seen in a while. It was dope, but it looked so heavy. Oh, it, yeah. Dude, and when he goes in to buy the batteries, and he's like, I need 20, <laughs> 20. <laughs> D batteries. I'm like, dude, you're carrying that alone in weight. <laughs> 
not even counting. Like, you know, I don't even want 20D batteries to sit on my shoulder, <laughs> personally. And that's got to be expensive, <laughs> too. My brother actually has uh, this closet that he calls the sideways closet. Um mm. With just filled with D batteries, and it's actually hilarious now. Like looking back, <laughs> you're like oh, you're fucking weirdo. What's the sideways closet? Uh, in case shit goes sideways. Ah, uh, that makes sense. I was yeah. just like, is the whole thing just oriented weirdly? <laughs> no, like shout out to my brother, sub Josh, but your shit's weird. <laughs> He's like, I he, my brother has nineteen flashlights. Damn. It's it's fucking weird, and he talks to me about lumens all the time. I'm like, my guy, mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. This is cool, bro. This new flashlight to... could do twelve thousand lumens, bro. bro twelve thousand. Okay, if I've learned anything, you're, you're burning everything. No, twelve thousand is not a lot. Oh, that brother, is? No, my brother. Yeah, you, my no, brother, you're right. Lumens ha- are in like the multiple <laughs> tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. My, my brother would slap you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man he's a fucking weird dude i love my brother though obviously um i, I have brothers by the way for the audience you know since yeah you're apparently introducing myself <laughs> <laughs> okay so can we go back to something in relation to sal and the pizza shop please do uh and it's, it's interesting because y'all talked about it being like the like the real reason like one of the cruxes of the of why the ending happens the way it does hmm um, I don't. I I didn't particularly see a problem with a man of a slight, you know, a man of Italian heritage wanting to have a wall of fame of people of his group of people I actually uh, on the wall. And I thought the same. Like I was like, you know, I, I my, the way my brain immediately did was like, okay, well, let's just say it was like a black owned place. Like, would you be like, would it be weird if they had nothing but black people on their wall? And I was like, no, not really. Like I, at least for me, I view them as all the same. Like I did get at least a point from bugging out of like you know, while I he under he's like I understand what you're saying, but also who eats here primarily black people, so shouldn't yeah. And so you know I I guess I should say I saw both arguments. I just didn't see anything automatically inherently wrong with having a wall full of people that match your culture. Sure, I think. Go ahead. Sorry, Josh. No, I was just saying, I think the interesting part is all of this happened, in my opinion, because Bug felt slighted that he got kicked out of the store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's one of those things where it tells up. I, no, never mind. I can't spoil the game. It just came out. But I wasn't going to spoil it, but I was going to make a point. Good Lord. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it tells a better revenge story than that the game does, but whatever. Um, it's bugging out in the golf. Out. Huh? He's bugging out in the Gulf. <laughs> I don't know. Where's yeah. my Come back. No, uh, um, <laughs> actually, go, I meant to say when you were talking about music, what I find really interesting is the enti- entire time that he was playing music, he was playing the group Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, Public Enemy, like it was very much the lyrics. But if you kind of look at the name of the group and... I don't mean this to sound insensitive, but what his actions kind of end up causing, it almost is kind of like a double-edged thing of, you know, he uh, almost f- becomes in that moment of the, a, a public enemy, you know. Bugging out both or, uh, no, uh, what's his name, the, the music radio, radio guy and sound. Radio Rahim. Radio Rahim. You know, both of them kind of become public enemies at that point. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I... I hear what you're saying. I don't know if I follow, but yeah. I, I guess the only point I'm trying to make is that they... I don't know. Whatever. Maybe <laughs> I'm making a bad point. I just found it interesting that what ended up happening with that band and then both of those people end up doing things that mm. you know to a different severity end up harming that area right sure and so, i mean i thought that the fact that the song that kept playing the entire time like the essentially the recurring theme for the movie was fight the power yep. yes you know like musically theme you know uh which i guess was also mirrored in the uh, the final acts of the movie um of course with like the riot and everything uh, so I, I just it was weird because like by the time that the movie was over I was like I'm so sick of that song but I understood what they were trying to do at the same time <laughs> you never get sick of that song come on <laughs> yeah um, I guess to a uh, thing you were saying a little bit ago Brett um, <clears throat> as far as the whole wall thing I, th- I think that's a great example as far as like how sometimes small a thing a much bigger conflict can arise out of and mm, it's interesting absolutely. that it happens in this place that's kind of like a revered space within the community. Um, like, like, there's nothing that makes it seem like Sal's Pizzeria is like the spot, but it, it's you know it's a spot that people come and it's like a social gathering place. And you know, at least for thematic to the movie, it's you know it's this Italian family trying to blend in in a family in a neighborhood where they might feel out of place. And you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting seeing what at its best is uh, a meeting place for different cultures uh you know be be the catalyst for you know all the shit that ends up happening afterward because it's like yeah as you were saying like it's it's not unreasonable for someone to have whoever they want on the wall of their own restaurant it's also not mm-hmm. unreasonable the argument that bugging out was make as far as like you know hey it'd be cool to just see some more representation which is all he wants and that's like we obviously understand, especially through the 2020 lens of like, that's a broader issue. So I think it would be comforting to him and probably a lot of the kids in that neighborhood to feel a little bit more represented in a place that's kind of like, you know, it's the, it's the corner pizza shop. Like it's, it's like a home away from home in some ways, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really have a wrap up for that, but I was also trying to think. Of, uh, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess for me, it was just I, I don't. Some people view the idea of uh, being proud of culture. Or, it's weird. I, I think some people kind of going back to like what Chris was talking about. When you have certain people who will look and be like, "Oh, you know, it's fine for people of color to appreciate their heritage," but like again, looking at it through the 2020 lens, it's it's kind of frowned upon to be white and be proud of your heritage uh, or, or have any kind of liking of your heritage because inevitably the implication that your heritage somewhere down the line is likely slavery involved uh, or just at least some form of racism involved. So it's weird in that regard. Cause I think if you look at it that way, it's like what he was celebrating was pretty normal it's like oh it's just Italians who have again had their own problems going up. I think, you know, every culture, has had issues. Every culture has had something terrible happen to them, as all humans eventually do. Uh, or I should say, all groups of humans eventually do. Mm. Uh, but it's like just wanting to show like a wall of Italian actors is not mm. anything serious in my book. But yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think I think one of the things that's really good about that is it wasn't white people on the wall. You know what I mean? There, it, obviously, it was white people, 
but it was very specifically Italian American people. Mm, so it yeah, wasn't yeah. one of these. Would like, be different if it was nothing. Yeah, but like it wasn't all like oh, it was right. It's not one of these like oh, white pride. It was no, I'm fucking Italian. It's Italian. Yeah, it was Italian pride. There's culture a very pride. Different, yeah. 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 And I think that's, you know, tying to what this movie does really well, I think, is addressing these issues and showing that they're often not as simple as mm-hmm. we'd like them to be. And that's part right. of what makes it so difficult for people to all agree on the solution is that it's not just like, oh, we'll obviously stop doing the bad thing. Then it's kind of being like, okay, well, what are all of the factors at play? It's It's hard to, you know to sometimes uh, make account of all the different things that that are playing into you know yeah. why people feel these ways but i will say we did not actually bug mentions the cardinal sin of the wall that we have not mentioned and that is that a wall of fame in a restaurant is for people who ate in that restaurant so <laughs> the entire concept of his fucking wall is bullshit <laughs> yeah i i uh, legitimately thought that really early on i was like oh wall of fame so these are like people who happen to come eat here right yeah. and then he was like oh no these are just people in our culture which i mean thinking back is not that weird you know i mean i could definitely see somebody being like hey you know uh i'm proud to be jewish or i'm mm. proud to be you know iranian or whatever and i'm going to choose to view people who are from my culture and from my background who have excelled in life it's just calling it the wall of fame it's like that that already mm. exists in a completely different manner bro. <laughs> right and i think <laughs> and again i wonder if that's like a 2020 thing or how long ago that that's what people kind of colloquially referred to it as yeah um I will say, like, I was one of these people who poo-pooed representation a lot of the time, because I always was one of those, oh, I want the best, you know, whatever, whatever, but I kind of switched on that when the last manager of the Red Sox was a Puerto Rican, and that was actually, (laughs) I, I know it sounds dumb, but that was actually really big for me, where I'm like, my favorite team is helmed by someone who is me, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I get it. That's completely reasonable. Um, Yeah, it's... It's yeah. tough to like get that across to white people, especially because we are so well represented represented in America. To be like yeah. how I important mean, representation really is, because we've never had to like strive for representation. Does that make sense? Like all of my heroes growing up were white because everyone was fucking white. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's I. I'm only speaking for myself. I, I'm not trying to make a broad generalization here. But there's also an element to it that feels like for a lot of white people in America, their culture is just kind of the broader American culture. And for a lot of people, especially immigrants living in America, it's a culture they bring with them that doesn't feel like it's as saturated in international culture or it's not as Mm -hmm. represented in our collective culture. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a big thing that gets overlooked is like, you know, uh, a, a lot of... Like, I have Italian heritage in my family. I have Canadian heritage in my family. But it's all, it's like a lot of white people, it's it's distant enough to where it's not like, oh, yeah, we proudly do these super authentic traditional things. It's more of just like mm-hmm. a, we're vaguely aware of it. But it's not, uh, it's not as important and dearly held as it is for a lot of other people, especially when that representation doesn't feel like it's just in the air around right. them. Um, mm, yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, I do think... There is, I think, levels to it, right? Like, I think there's a certain point where it's kind of like, 
you know how much can you really ask for like i know i saw someone the other day and they were saying you know only you know black gay people can play black gay people and i think that there's a there's a certain level that you can take it to where it where i can kind of sympathize with some of the people like what are you talking about you know and i think i don't know i think it's it's one of those things where we should want to see representation of course because it helps everybody you know like i said like fucking alex coro was from my dad's lived in the same neighborhood as my dad like that's just crazy to me yeah you know that's fucking dope yeah but at a certain point like if he didn't live in the same thing, I'm not going to be like, oh, he has to be from Gagwas. You know, and I think that's kind of where we have to put ourselves. It's like, you know, take yeah. what you yeah. can get, but don't take too much. And I kind of yeah. think that's where Bug, Bug's biggest problem was, was he was trying to take too... Not that he was... I guess he, I'm, that's not true, but in a lot of ways, he was trying to take too much. Um, I mean, he definitely ruffled why. feathers and was very... He was very headstrong and not like... Right, it, th- it's funny because if you watch this movie, he basically got into a Twitter fight. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, because neither one of them was listening to each other. They were just yelling, but they mm-hmm. were both saying the same fucking thing. And and, I mean, that's, and, and you know one thing we've not really touched on yet <laughs> that may speak a little bit more into the potential of whether or not you know of, of uh, I guess I should say of Sal's character is that as soon as that issue arose, he was also quick to go directly to the bat. Yeah. Mm. And interestingly enough, despite us all agreeing that Pino is clearly racist with his actions, uh, the only reason that that doesn't seem to escalate is because Pino grabs the the bat. Yeah. That's also my point is, that was also my point before, there's nuance to everybody, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Though I'd also be curious if Pino's but motivation right. was whether he felt like he deserved, like whether he felt like bugging out deserved it, versus whether he wanted to deal with the consequences of that. I would. I I took yeah, it as he didn't want to deal with the consequences. Yeah. Definitely, as it came later, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that was all that was. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a good call out, and it's. I don't know. I, I like that this movie gives a lot to explore. That it's not just super here are two dimensional good and bad characters and i think that's what mm-hmm. makes it you know well, <laughs> so applicable to our own lives and feel so relevant you know 31 years after it was made um i, par- I apparently had a lot more to say about this movie than i thought but you know it's interesting now that you say that is that this movie doesn't follow the heroes of the story <laughs> hmm. at all it actually follows arguably some of the worst people in the story where the if if anyone's a hero in this movie is Vito and the mayor. The mayor how? You know, because he's the only. Oh the what do you mean yeah how? the the mayor yeah sorry yeah dumb I thought you meant <laughs> the mayor of the city like, I'm, and I was like the only when the only part he showed up in is when he said he was going to investigate property damage and not the murder of someone by the cops so fuck the <laughs> no, mayor no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. no we're talking about dumb yeah, mayor gotcha yeah dumb okay. mayor drunk ass yeah, like, what mayor. are you on you know now man about? I really don't want to argue with you for two hours straight <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead yeah. sorry. No, that was just something I noticed. I, I I just thought that was interesting. Where even the 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 guy we follow, who I think we all want to sympathize with, is not a good dude. <laughs> yeah, the Mookie thing is weird because it's like he's not like just inherently like oh he's so bad. But it's just like he's not really just a <laughs> exceptional <so> person. 
He's it's like no, nothing nothing he does is really exceptional in one way or the other until the end when he kind of acts as the catalyst for the riot by throwing the trash can. Yeah. But you know, it, you know, he he's kind of a subtle thing where outwardly you would think he's a good dude, but he's a deadbeat father. He skips out on work, you know, all this kind of stuff where he's He's not he's not one of the guys out there being a racist or yelling at Sal or doing all this stuff but even in his personal life he's a ba- he's I'm not going to call him a bad dude but arguably you know he's he he's got he's got a lot father. of room to grow. Right. He's also seemed to be so, pretty young too though just to be fair like with some of that he yeah, I think but, he's probably like what 18 or 19. I mean, yeah. I didn't I didn't quite get that feeling, but I still I did think like early to mid 20s, which I mean to be fair, a lot of people still don't have their life completely figured out in their early to mid 20s. Yeah. yeah. And like so, that's not an excuse. I mean, fairly, fairly a lot typical. of 18-year-olds yeah. own up to their shit, but you know, when you're young, you're young. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. mistakes are more easily forgiven when the the less life experience you have. Yeah. You know. But yeah, Demir. I kind of got Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Josh. One read I kind of got from Mookie that was like, it it was more based on Sal because I kept getting the impression that Sal was supposed to represent like the white moderate that MLK often talks about, where it's, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to, because this leads into a broader political discussion, so I'll try to keep it focused. It the the idea of what MLK presents as the white moderate just being someone who means well but ultimately doesn't really have any allegiance to anything except. Uh, keeping the peace and sometimes keeping the peace uh, is convenient for some people and oppressive for other people and if you're not experiencing that oppression you kind of don't acknowledge it and that being it it felt like a bigger theme throughout this movie where Radio Rahim bringing in uh, his music blasting music being the thing that really upset Sal more than anything was just that his peace was being disturbed and Mookie sort of being in the middle between these two things of he's just trying to live his life, he's just trying to work and stuff, and he kind of doesn't really take allegiance. He's friendly with everybody, but he's kind of just, he's allegiant to himself. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that comes across, especially in the end, where he is the one who takes this from people are arguing outside the restaurant to it's a full-on riot and they are trashing cells. And I think that's... I don't know that I'm authorized to fully speak on the intent there, but I feel like that is intentional based on the words of MLK and the words of M- uh, Malcolm X, especially since they appear in the credits, where uh, MLK is often portrayed as someone who advocated for pacifism when he, he he was a big proponent of peace, but he did also acknowledge the role of uh, of rioting when there is nothing else to do. And you know, in, in that case, advocating for uh, <laughs> advocating for standing up for yourself and your community when keeping the peace no longer accomplishes that. And that was the bigger read that I got from Sal and Mookie, especially, where Sal was dedicated to keeping the peace at all costs, and Mookie finally had to make that decision of, you know what, fine, this is, I am going to escalate this, but this is now a matter of, I have to take this into my own hands to represent, you know, our greater needs. But, I don't know. That was just kind of the impression I got, especially with the specific use of the radio. It just seemed kind of intentional, but uh, I don't know if anyone else kind of got that impression. Yeah, I don't know. The the 
Mookie's weird because, like, again, I don't have any strong feelings either way, but I don't necessarily feel like the movie gave him a redemption arc completely. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate that it at least let him be the catalyst for the, the final events, even though inadvertently, I, I don't know. It's It's weird. When you're looking at everything going on, it's just the ending of the movie is so bombastic and chaotic and i know that's meant to be it's trying to but i want to make sure that i'm actually remembering the events right uh does the riot on sal's happen during the fight after the fight after raheem's killed it's after raheem's killed right yeah it's the response to his death that that's what i thought okay i just want to make sure i wasn't mixing certain things or flipping around events Mm -hmm. um but you know I, I you do get that feeling of like okay well clearly he's here and he has his you know uh, he he's doing this for a reason and i think everybody who's watching it is like oh this reason's justifiable and it makes sense because this is his people uh, and we see him be friendly with everybody including raheem throughout the entire movie but you're right up until that point he's not doing anything for anyone really other than himself mm-hmm. uh and then when that happens, I, it, it doesn't full on feel like a redemption moment. Definitely from the end of the movie, where it's like, again, it starts going back to what is kind of selfish for him. It's like, I'm just going to get my money that I'm owed. <laughs> you know, um, it, it was just weird. That's the one thing about the movie that I kind of was just like, I don't know what Mookie as a character. I don't know what his arc completely is. Like, I don't feel like it necessarily gives itself a. I don't, I don't want to say worthwhile, but it's a, it just is. It feels vague by the time that we're kind of just mm-hmm. done with it. And I don't know if that was on purpose. If it's kind of you know to show where he's at, where like maybe he's taking a step in the right direction, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he still has to live life. Sure. Um, for the time being, but yeah, it, not like a, a hit against the movie so much. It's just a. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it. You know, like and and maybe that's something that takes more time before I can fully have a opinion on that since we watched uh, I watched right up to recording so Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean that's fair I I think the impression I totally got throughout most of the movie was that he was he was the avatar of the viewer for a lot of scenes especially Um, and I think Mm. uh, I think a lot of it also since he's the director and more or less the star of the movie I think there was elements of self-insertion but it always kind of felt like insertion um it it always kind of felt like i i always got a little bit of like a we're knowingly playing this to the audience because we want to convey a lesson it's like it's a parable kind of thing um but that Mm. that that was why i took it uh especially his uh throwing the trash can through the window i took that as like a there comes a point at which you the viewer have to take a side and like you know him yeah. choosing the side in the crowd where he's like wait no if I'm standing with Sal I'm standing against my community so him yeah and you see that pivotal moment where he moves against Sal um, yeah and, and I yeah. just I don't know to, to me I took that as and maybe that's not like the only read but it, it read to me as at some point you can want peace but the system around you might not uh, respect your boundaries so you might have to kind of push back and i think that was especially purposeful with the uh i think it was malcolm x's quote talking about violence as intelligence when it's self-defense and -hmm. i think that was portraying him as that in a way that's like you the viewer 
can go about your day to day. You can have the whole same shit, different day, whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go through some big dramatic arc and, you know, hero's journey kind of thing to be presented with a situation. And I think that's ultimately what his thing is, is he's presented with the opportunity to have to make a decision. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he's not still, uh, you know, not a great dad or, or lover or, you know, kind of only sometimes there as a friend to some of the people in his community, but uh, at least highlighting the role of uh, participation in a, a moment like that. No, yeah, I think that's actually, uh, now that you mentioned that, I do think that that's a good analog to what the movie is trying to do because you as the viewer, definitely as you're learning more about the community going on, you naturally are kind of like, in a weird way, you're like, hoping for the peace of everything going around it's like you know as things escalate you're like oh come on don't let it go crazy uh but you're you're not doing anything of course you can't so with him acting as that not doing anything it's kind of like you're taking that role of like well you're just watching something unfold with no agency within how it unfolds until eventually the movie like you say is like eventually you have to take a stand um yeah but it's interesting i'm actually really glad you said that uh good good way these talks can work out to give you a fresh perspective yeah um well uh unless chris or blake has anything to add nope i think i've spoken my piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm good um i want to give one more shout out to mr senior love daddy because i just all of his dialogue and just the music and the the tonal shift that would happen every time Samuel L. Jackson was on screen. I just, I fucking, I mean, his presence in most movies is fucking rad, but <laughs> yeah. he was great in this. Well, it was cool that he kind of acted as a own narrator. Like he really wasn't the narrator, but mm-hmm. he kind of would take that role occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple times where it felt like, there's no way he could have actually known what's happening and he is purely like he is the fates talking to the audience kind of thing but yeah no for sure um also shout out to uh coconut sid and a sweet dick willie and uh everybody knows why i'm sweet dick willie i laugh so hard at that it's like nobody knows why your name is ml (laughs) but everybody knows why i'm sweet dick willie i just thought that was so damn funny yeah also shout out martin lawrence chilling in the background of the entire movie yeah (laughs) you know the cast for this movie was really pretty star-studded yeah and it was interesting that the stars which of course you know trying to think back i don't know when martin lawrence broke into uh you know specifically superstardom as he eventually did mm-hmm. uh but regardless there's a lot of <laughs> there's a <laughs> lot of very famous actors uh at least now that i'm very noting of that are in this movie so regardless of whether they were famous at the time it's still interesting to watch the movie with all those people together yeah yeah, I was yeah. super impressed by that too. Like, especially like Martin Lawrence is so young in this, and I was like, "Oh mm-hmm. my god, is that who I think it is?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, a movie that really uh, showed the terrifying and slow uh, crawl of time. <laughs> Damn, <Jesus. laughs> ouch! <laughs> on that note, <laughs> on that, on note, that rest note, in peace, Joel Schumacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. I was gonna call that out at some point, but. Uh, sure, right now. <laughs> Perfect time. <laughs> At some point, I think it would be cool for us to have room for like current events in some form, not like obsessive every detail of news, but like big stuff and like 
Joel Schumacher did a lot of cool shit in movies, and you know that's a significant loss. So worth commemorating. Listen, this uh, we're gonna add this on a hot take. He is responsible for one of the best Batman movies yes. and one of the best Batman movies. I agree. You said you said best twice. I yeah. know, oh, okay. but I mean it in two completely different <laughs> ways. <laughs> one of I, them is really good, and one of them is really good. <laughs> I, I will say it, it took me a while to come around to it, but understanding his angle, that he was coming from the Adam West stuff, and he was going yeah. for full-on camp, like, here's something for kids and it's supposed to be goofy, and also that it's super rooted in, like, gay arts and culture, like... I, those movies hold up way better. They're goofy as fuck, but they're in on the joke. So I kind of love them now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, super <laughs> relevant details. If that's, I mean, are there any scenes that kind of stood out to you guys before we kind of wrap this up? Any scenes, Blake, that you kind of dug or that stand out to you? I think we've pretty much covered all of like the big important scenes or anything. Nothing really else stuck out. Like I said, the cinematography. Mm cinematography throughout the whole film was just immaculately done i just absolutely loved it uh chris any scenes from you honestly the only scene that really stands out because it was kind of weird to me was the the ice scene (laughs) it was a great scene but like it it was just like why is this happening right now it's hot it was a little out of place I know it was hot, but why was it happening? <laughs> I, I didn't expect to feel this during this movie. <laughs> so they're like, oh, thank God nobody's home. Oh, Dude, I was legitimately surprised. My wife sitting right beside me. Like, it, It's weird, too. My wife was like, oh, wow, she has nice boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Full screen. I'm just like, I was oh, like, awesome. yeah, it, it made it even more funny that he was like, God, uh, thank God for the right nipple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, Chris, you told me that was at the end of the movie. There was still like forty-five minutes left after that, so I was not expecting it. And let it play for a minute. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, uh, Brett, any fair, any scenes? That was the last half of the movie. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was. No, I think I want to mirror back into kind of what Blake was talking about. I think the cinematography as a whole was really interesting. Like, you know, a lot of the kind of crooked close-up shots they would yeah. do between yes. characters, definitely during scenes where it's like just these two people with no external anything yet. Uh, and it's, it's weird. You, you see a couple of them specifically with Radio Rahim, um, which was, again, just kind of like, huh, I wonder if it was in a weird way if it was almost like cinematography foreshadowing (laughs) Mm. but uh yeah that and then i think the the like if we want to talk about scene outside of just the camera though the camera was definitely part of it as well um was the very oddly cut in scenes after the initial talk between pino and mookie where they're kind of going over uh, you know, Mookie's like, who is your favorite uh, actor? Oh, Who's your favorite ball player? Who's your favorite rock star? And you know, he's like begrudging to say Prince. And when all that's going on, you know, immediately after they have that scene to where, and I thought it was really interesting that they had a scene that immediately cut to Mookie, a black man, being essentially racist <laughs> towards. Mm-hmm. And see, and that's, and I think that this actually speaks loads into what Chris was trying to say in this scene. Mookie, if we're going to say that one racist action makes you a racist, then Mookie's a racist. Right. Because he calls him a Dago Wop, which is a very racist, you know, slur towards Italian people. Uh, so 
when you look at those things together, <laughs> it's it was really interesting that it immediately cut to that, and I was even more interested that they saved in a weird way that Spike Lee chose to save the N word for the final, like definitely in the in the full hard R connotation, as people like to say, like you know, there's for some reason there's severity to the level, like depending on how you say it. Um, but I really thought it was interesting that within that scene, they you know. Uh, when Pino goes to kind of have his weird cut-in rebuttal, which again, it felt so weird because it was like directed right at the camera, and they weren't really saying it to each other, they were almost saying it to the viewer. Mm. <laughs> uh, but you know, he uh, Mookie goes through his thing, and then we see Pino go through his, and he says a bunch of stereotypical things, but I was really surprised that he did not throw in the N-word. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was just, it was very, it came out of nowhere, caught me off guard, and I was just like, oh, okay. Like, you remember it because mm-hmm. it, because it's so left field. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes to my point where the movie makes a point of showing almost every main character doing something racist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, e- even, like, you know, when Radio Rahim is in the store and he's yeah. like, do, do you speak fucking English? Right. Uh, you know, he has him count the batteries again. Like, Yeah. So it's, you know, and, and Clyde clearly trying to kind of insult their intelligence from their you know mm-hmm. verbal understanding so yeah you're right i think that if anything the movie just kind of constantly goes through just i think it reinforces chris's remark of we all have mildly racial tendencies or thoughts that we don't necessarily think of in the moment because it's almost just like the, the natural human instinct of trying to make sense of something that's different than you doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you necessarily had bad intentions within them uh, though sometimes, of course, there can be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, really, right. really interesting scene that stands out. And I think the only thing that it really did accomplish is to set the tone that not only one person in this movie acts as the racial bad guy, that everyone kind of has racist tendencies. Right. Uh, sure. And I mean, that is a. I, I, I've never lived in a neighborhood that densely packed in that kind of visibly segregated but that is a thing that I often hear is the experience especially in like inner city neighborhoods where it is kind of like tight clicks and there's a lot of like you know us and them sort of shit but yeah, I mean, yeah. It, sorry ahead, Chris. Brett. Uh, no it was just kind of what I, almost my personal anecdote was exactly that where it was like the black people and the Puerto Ricans didn't like each other mm-hmm. like that's just how it was you know yeah, and I, I don't necessarily even think that was a race. I I don't think it was a race thing. I think it was a gang thing. But hmm. that's that's what's there, you know. Yeah, I, I I don't know enough on the subject to really comment further. But it's definitely a obviously it's real because you know we keep seeing it visited in media <laughs> like this and talked about. Exactly. So. Um, well, I think the last thing to kind of just chime into that because we hadn't talked about it yet. Uh, but it kind of goes towards something that is a is an issue now where people will look and say, and it's something I actually, it, it bothers me because to me, it just does nothing but further racism and just the, op- not in the opposite direction necessarily, but it's like the sentiment that I see online with certain people that you can't be racist against white people or, you know, or even you can't do anything. Uh, you know, if whatever you say against white people, it's fine because we've white people as a whole have done collectively bad things. So therefore nothing you say about white people can be considered bad. 
it's like something that you couldn't say to another group and but without being frowned upon for some reason you can say to a white people it, it, that was a weird one but you see it in this movie with kind of the idea of like a, I, I don't necessarily know that I want to call it reverse racism because I don't think it's really it, it's, it, it is point blank racism but like when they are following the, uh, the, the white guy who rode on the bike and ended up hitting uh, bugging out shoes and they go to him and they're talking all this mess and then they say you know bugging out says why don't you move back to massachusetts it's like clearly that was a racial (laughs) remark i mean okay i actually can't agree with you on that because he's wearing a boston celtics jersey so it's actually fucking hilarious because (laughs) i know a ton of fucking idiot white new yorkers who like i'm a red sox fan and they grew up next to yankee stadium and that pisses me off as an actual (laughs) red sox fan so see and that's something as somebody who who doesn't care for sports much i've i've never understood why you're supposed to like the team that that represents where you grew up like it's fine but people act like if you you like somebody and it's i think the reason for me is like we arkansas does not have a professional team in any sport (laughs) well think think about it this way right like if someone from boston doesn't like the red sox that doesn't make sense but it doesn't make sense that someone from Boston would like someone from California, you know? Why not? It, if you just think they're a good team. Because you don't get the... Realistically, in my view, A, because it's territory, right? Boston and Upper Connecticut, where I'm from, is Red Sox. And Lower Connecticut and New York is Yankees. And the Mets fans are somewhere fucking weird. Um, but it's also a lot of, like, I don't get Angels games, so I'm not going to be an Angels fan. I get Red Sox games. Hmm. So that's, I think, where that territory... It's a territory thing where you're in the Northeast, hmm. you're a Red Sox fan. You know, and you can transplant, obviously. But... Well, see, I guess, again, since we don't have any professional sports teams around here, the closest we have is a college team, which people yeah. are pretty weirdly super into. Uh, the only sport that I have, like, mild interest in is soccer, and I really mm-hmm. like FC Barcelona. Uh, I've seen them play. And you know, it's like I'm I'm clearly not in FC. Like, you oh, know, I'm clearly <laughs> nowhere around there. And it's just one of those things. That's why I have such a hard time understanding. But back to the the crux of the argument. Even if you take away the the Massachusetts thing, right? Let's just break that off. That was clearly a racially charged thing. It was why is this white boy? Why why are you buying a brownstone? Why are you in our neighborhood? Yeah. It, it goes to show that racial divides exist across all it, it's just something that humans have naturally gone through and not worked their way out of for yeah. a number of reasons it's a multitude of them sure. also, to, you know, I, I laughed really hard when they said it and I didn't even realize it was because of his shirt I just thought it was like one of those like you white ass move back to Massachusetts <laughs> go back to the north <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's actually kind of what I took it at. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like, and I guess it's, I live in, you know, I think Blake may have heard this too. Like when you live in the South, it's like, there's just like a general hate for Yankees. <laughs> so it's just like, like it, if you have differing opinions from people, they're like, what are you, a Yankee? It's like, n- <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah. I do think that scene was interesting because it was a very subtle commentary on gentrification and it very, mm-hmm. it's starting in that, in that neighborhood you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and if you know for what it's worth realistically solid chance that whoever replaces uh sal has way less interest in the overall well-being of their community right yeah for sure but, uh, which is another interesting really, late layer that was the thing that really made me sad about that scene it's like 
it, it's one of those things where you know Sal and them got into a fight but you're taking it out on Sal when you should be taking it out on the cops you know yeah that, that was an interesting thing though you know the movie also touched on the idea of uh, I don't know if I want to say victim blaming because that's kind of weird but like you know Sal's immediate response to, to kind of being like you know well, Raheem didn't need to die it's kind of like well it, I, he didn't die because of me if anything he died because bugging came busting in and trying to get people to go on his side to do this mm-hmm. you know yeah. boycott the, so i'm sorry no go ahead that's it i just think the interesting thing that we didn't discuss is that raheem probably would have killed saul or sal if he hadn't been stopped i never got and that, that i, I, I actually mean, did if you watch that scene <laughs> sal is pretty close to dying he's red in the face He's, like, yeah, he's being choked, and I thought it was really interesting that the way that the cops go about handling him and the way that his death plays out is very likely the way that he would have killed Saul, which was being right. choked to death. Oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry. I was thinking of the initial confrontation uh, oh, as no. far oh. as uh, Saul starting that confrontation by taking the bat to the radio. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, that's one of those weird things where if you go through and look at it objectively and just remove everything and don't think about police escalation when it doesn't need to be that way or racism within police forces if you just looked at that objectively and didn't know any of the information about who the people were you'd be like okay well clearly the guy shouldn't have taken a bat to his radio and it's destruction of property but the you know the correct response should not be immediately jumping to someone and trying to choke them to death so when you look at it through just pure factual lens and don't even look at any of the attributes that make those people up it gets weird that you're kind of like okay well like he still didn't need to die but it's you start to lean into at least why because it's like i I kept thinking about it like you know this is clearly a commentary on police brutality and uh, overuse of force excessive force but when you are looking at it too and you're looking at sal you're like oh but you know the if the cops did not stop him, he very likely would have killed this person mm-hmm. on top of the fact that when the cops had him up, he was still trying to fight. So it's like, you know, you're dealing with a back and forth of like, what do I do? Like if I let him go, I risk getting hurt myself. If we don't, you know, it's like, it's weird. And it, it, I think it adds, and I don't know if the movie's point was to do that, which clearly the cops had issues as they touched on earlier in the movie. Um, but it's just the the whole ending is just very thought provoking to a lot of things that are still a problem to this day. I I do think it was very specific where there was a cop telling him to stop. You know, yes, and like they, that's they, enough. They, it, it goes with the theme of everybody has nuance. Where this cop killed him, and I I want point out that the fact that they shot that like he was being lynched. First off, that was very clearly like an imagery they were shooting for. Yeah, but there was that other cop, like, dude, you have to stop, and then he never does. Mm-hmm. So, I do like that there was at least consistent nuance with everything throughout the movie. Yeah, you know? for sure, sure. Um, and I mean, another thing that we could read into—I don't know if it was the intent for us to—but the disparity in how many people were trying to get Rahim to stop versus how many people were trying to get the cop to stop as far as on on their side like obviously there was a big crowd around Rahim and Saul and like it was kind of a mix of like a lot of them were cheering on because they were just they were frenzied in the moment um, mm-hmm. but it, it did kind of I felt like it, it wasn't 
the most clear, but I definitely got the impression that like once the mayor got involved and a, a, it felt like a couple of the other people kind of came out, then it was like a little bit more of like, no, stop. You don't want to escalate this. Like, come on, let's like, let's stop this while we can. Um, versus, you know, it kind of being like who on the cop's side is telling the cop to stop using lethal force. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, you guys are right that it's a whole, it's a whole mix of ugly shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think speaks a lot to the movies. It, you know, I said at first it felt overly stoic in a weird way, and then at the same time you would have a scene that uh, right up against that would be like juxtaposed to be almost cartoonish. But in the long run, you know, they spent a lot of time just kind of being like normal life in this area. And the movie, despite all of its crazy qualities, still has like a grounded quality that feels like it's just trying to show you life in this area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's minimized scope because like the whole movie takes place in one location. Yeah, um, hyper focused one location. You know, yeah, just um, so yeah. I like that. The ending felt really brutal and like you know like gut punching where you see all the stuff going on and it's just escalating crazily. But it felt like something you could actually like. It felt like it was really happening in a weird way. It's like oh yeah, yeah this is grounded. This is real. Like. I believe that this happened in this world. Whereas I think a lot of movies try to show things with that kind of nuance and, and touch and they don't have the subtlety and the ground. I think I'd say the world building within it to make it feel like it really happened in that world. And, and, and that mm-hmm. this isn't just something that was written to be a spectacle. Yeah. And I mean, it helps too that the entire movie is character development. You know, we spend the whole time in the neighborhood with these people kind of getting to know them. Um, mm-hmm. So even though, you know, we we, we see the full... We, we get to see kind of a, a full picture of, you know, the the good and bad of a lot of these different characters. It, it is still, you know, ultimately devastating to see them fighting each other and then see, mm-hmm. you know, the police brutality on top of that where it's just like... I don't know, the, the the scenes where it was just like... It was just like a pile of people and it was chaos. It was just like, fuck, man. Like, y- you see how much better things were and how how well this works most of the time and how much people care about each other. It sucks when, you know, the smallest fucking thing gets it to this point. Yeah. And it's especially interesting because right at, right before the scene happens, everyone's talking about how good a day they had, you know? Mm. That's a good catch. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, if you guys don't have any other scenes you want to call out, uh, I mean, now would be the point to do it if you do. No. All right. Oh, good. Um, I guess that leaves us with reading this movie. Um, I'll go around to each of you then. Uh, Blake, Mr. Silent over there. I'm looking to my right. I don't know where you would be sitting if we were around a table. <laughs> I'm actually on your left. Sorry. Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You don't even know what I look like. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, I give it a five out of five. I thought it was an excellent Damn. movie. Damn. Nice. Uh, Chris, what would you rate this? Come, can you come back to me? <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. He's changing uh, his score. <laughs> Brett. <laughs> I saw your letterbox well, score, okay, you little whatever. punk. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing, right? It's because I saw this movie and gave it a 3.5. Because I'll, I'll be straight up with you. Uh, I was pissed off at the ending. Hmm. It pissed me off. That entire scene made me mad. I, I, but that's the point, right? Was yeah. that was the point of the scene, 
But I was legitimately, like, angry. Where I'm like, I don't want to talk about this fucking movie. And, but then it, you know, as we've talked about the movie and really kind of dissected it, uh, I think it's a five-star movie. So Hell yeah. Holy shit. I would kiss you if you were here right now. (laughs) 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 This is the first time in history. The I mean, I hated it. Recording it the Belko episode apparently <laughs> changed your opinion, and I don't know that that's happened yet, or at least not this to this level. You went from middle of the road movie to essentially, you know, the nothing's perfect, but a highest recommendation. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. Just because of the way we talked about it in the episode, so interesting. I, the thing is, really, is that there's not been a single movie where any of us have spoken with passion and i don't mean that in in offense to anyone here because that's an issue with me too but a lot of it is just well let's talk about the scenes and here's the midweek manatee and (laughs) we're having fun whereas this is which we got to hear what his rating is you know i don't think the midweek manatee has anything to say about (laughs) this movie Uh, (laughs) because the first time i did it whoo (laughs) Uh, it it, it hit pretty close to this movie yeah listen (laughs) Martin was a racist and we put Martin down I killed him for a reason Um, but no it's just I think it's the only this is the only movie that we've watched where we all had passion Mm. right yeah I think I get what you mean it's it's more like and I was about to say that I think that part of the reason that it's easier to imagine you changing your mind is this is that we inadvertently all put part of ourselves into this conversation Mm -hmm. right it's the only movie where we've put a a lot of our own personal backstory into it and it's the only movie that's pulled that discussion from us naturally Mm -hmm. so yeah fair it's just like like my hatred of the Belko experiment you know I'll let you guys all look (laughs) under the the hood for a little bit but that's 99% a joke you know Mm -hmm. because it's it's funny whereas like but so I I I have that quote unquote passion but like this was I actually felt something so I think it it has to be a five star movie and it's probably the best movie we've watched damn okay powerful words from a person who honestly very often has some pretty uh, shit takes. <laughs> he, he I'm has just hot kidding. Takes. I'm just kidding. Blake, I, I edit this show. You keep forgetting <laughs> that. <laughs> you, you're going to be pitched up by like a few cents and no one's going to know quite what's wrong. I'm just going to re- replace be like, wow, Blake sounds really weird this week. It must be some Replace his entire <laughs> track with 99 farts. Please don't do that. Never <laughs> fuck with the editor. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, Brett, we come around to you. What rating would you give this movie? But you know what? I actually think I was going to give it a 4.5 because mm-hmm. I think that there's there's very few things within the movie. Uh, I think originally that part of the reason that that happened too is as we talked about, like uh, you kind of gave me a different perspective on Mookie's character, or really I should say not even character so much as Mookie's place within the movie, mm-hmm. uh, his function within the movie rather, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I think Chris is right. I think by nature of what we're... I think the movie invokes so much discussion and so much self-reflection of your life and your experience and how that compares with other people and that we've all kind of... I think for that and the fact that it is still a good movie when you're watching it, like it's a it's a perfectly good movie, mm-hmm. I think th- those things together, I think what the movie achieves maybe makes it better 
than it otherwise would have been while still being great. So I'm gonna give it a five as well. Why the hell not? Oh shit! You're putting me in a position here. <laughs> Don't feel no, obligated. I've seen your letterbox score there, sir. What are we talking about, bro? <laughs> rate it what you want to rate it. First of all, pile driver in a position. Um, (laughs) No, so it's interesting because I, hearing Chris speak, I was kind of feeling the same way. And Brett, you more or less articulated it the same way that I felt, which is if I were rating this as like just a solo cinematic experience, like my rating on Letterboxd uh, before I started this podcast with you guys today was 4.5. And I, I, believe that's still a reasonable rating but also brett you make a compelling point as to the bigger aspect of this movie which is ultimately why i wanted to watch it and discuss it with you guys which is hopefully we can look more closely in like an honest way about this kind of shit and how it affects our lives and not in like a way where it's intended to be an argument with like victors or any of that bullshit like i think that's ultimately what's very unproductive about social media which Mm-hmm. often tends to be our venue for a lot of these discussions where it's it's a contest and it's often a popularity contest and there's no real desire to have like a a meaningful conversation about it where hopefully everyone comes away with a better understanding of their own relation to the issue and each other and all that shit and this is the only movie that's done that for us so I'm I, I have to give it a five on that basis this this movie has done something that no other movie we've watched has done including movies Clean that sweep. I think as like a solo moviegoer I might have enjoyed more this one does mm-hmm. something that no other has done so far so I look at I that give it, a five. it didn't have to be four and a half hours long <laughs> that too <laughs> hey it's our um, second movie where everyone's given it a five that's been on the episode I mean obviously Chris wasn't on the other one, but... Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. Do what? Yes, yeah, so this one actually counts more. I'll watch it. You should. <laughs> but regardless, yeah, second episode that we've all given it five out of five. That's awesome. Woo-woo. Well, hot damn. Uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, watching this and, you know, giving real-ass discussion about it. I know it was kind of... It was a little bit of a, a journey to get there, but I think once we kind of... <laughs> got into the flow of it. it it was really cool hearing from each of you about you know ultimately what is truly uh you know only your own perspective can inform how you view this and how we all kind of talk about this with each other so i really appreciate you guys uh doing this with me yeah it's fun yeah it was thank a- you for being such a gracious host this week, <laughs> Josh. yeah thanks ah. for letting me steal your show for an hour <laughs> <laughs> dude no that's the exact kind of shit that like that's why I picked this so we can talk about this kind of shit so yeah. I'm glad you could bring up like that's the kind of shit that like I wouldn't think to bring up and that's why I need countering opinions because like <laughs> people hold these beliefs and shit and I want to discuss that too because that's valid <clears throat> and I, that's part of the overall discussion is having to contend with like you know oh my god I don't know <clears throat> I'm not articulating well but you know what I mean I appreciate yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to hand this off to Brett, who's going to do our customary sign-off and give you the rigmarole about Patreon and maybe mention some weird shit about Triangle Squared. Uh, But first, Chris is going to interrupt. What's up? You should maybe pass it off to Blake for next week's movie. Oh, damn. Blake, I'm looking to the right again. You better have this movie. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I am literally scrolling through shit, trying to figure out what I want to do. There's so many choices. Um, Cats! Did we change it? 
Yeah. Yeah, you decided. Did you already watch the one I said before in secret? Okay. Okay. (laughs) I couldn't even remember the fucking name. I was going to message you and be like, what fucking, (laughs) what language? Well, I asked in Discord (laughs) if I could pick something different since, you know, I wanted to get everyone's reactions, I guess. Although I think the one that I'm going to pick will get no reactions because I'm not sure anyone's heard of it. But Mm. I'm choosing Elevator to the Gallows. That's a dope name. I'm going to make a song called that. It's a very good movie. I'm very excited to rewatch it. Is this one five hours long? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's one hour and 32 minutes. It's a 1958 French noir. Interesting. Wow, okay. Well, cool. Sweet. Uh, I'm stoked to watch that with you guys. Hopefully, uh, it doesn't take as much weed as it took to get through uh, Once Upon a Time in America. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to live that down, my friend. This one is available <laughs> on HBO Max and Criterion, and I think it's also on Canopy, which is like the you know public library streaming service or whatever. Oh, dope. weird, sweet, but cool. All right. Well, can I take this show over at this point? I guess just fucking <laughs> do it, damn it. Do. Just, Please, God, it. just, so just, just grab it by the shaft. <laughs> oh, oh God! <laughs> it's three hours long. Do, do, do yeah. I do I stroke it? What do I do? I, what do I do with the balls? Do I cradle them? Like a uh, bottle of ketchup. A bottle of ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, we're on Get the same page now. <laughs> All right. Well, the guys, thank you for joining us for a midweek matinee. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can head over to our Twitter, which is matinee or. Yeah, matinee underscore midweek. Uh, one of these days, we'll get the actual midweek matinee, which is being wasted right now. Um, you can head over to our Facebook, which is also midweek matinee. Uh, and over there, you can find little games that Josh and sometimes Blake put up, thankfully. Uh of cool stuff where you can guess movies with emojis and whatnot. Uh, you can see beautiful screenshots from the movies that we're discussing each week. Of course, it lets you know when episodes go live so that you can be quickly and uh, going over and listening to those if that's your thing. Uh, lastly, uh, if you want to hear more of me, you can find me on my weekly PlayStation podcast, Triangle Square to PlayStation podcast. But I'll warn you that if you're expecting just like a 100% I love PlayStation and screw everyone else. That's not what I do. Uh, I think Blake can attest to that. That's, that's not what we aim to do. It's part of the reason we met, even though he is not necessarily a pure PlayStation gamer. So with that said, follow us on social media and let us know if you like to show on review services uh, or reviews rather on podcast services. And we will see you guys next week. We're going to close off with our patrons who thankfully help support the show and not have to dig into our own pockets to do this. So thank you guys ever so much. Thanks to our patrons, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, and El Chabib. If you would like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and become one for as little as a dollar a month where you can get this episode a week early as well as any other episodes a week early. Thank you.
Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm.